house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. My husband is a good man. Don't mistake his honesty for weakness. He deserves respect. This was very disrespectful. I run a fair and clean business, and I will fight to my last breath to prove that. These are dangerous times, and we have to adapt. It's not like when we was driving. There were more murders and rapes in this city last year than there have ever been. So if you've come to tell me that we have an urgent security issue here, trust me, I'm aware. This can't continue. You're at war here. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast with a tomb in the middle of our house filled with nothing but Van Morrison albums. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with a special guest appearance by one-time Best Actress nominee, <laughs> Joe Reed. <laughs> Hello. Ah. Uh... I watch this movie, and I'm sad that there are not more, that the volume of Oscar nominations for all cast members involved are not just, like, so, so, so much more. I know. It really bums me out. There's three among the cast members, or, sorry, four. Jessica Chastain has two, Albert Brooks has one, Catalina Sandino Moreno has one, and, like, that's it. And, like, there should be, like, ten. I don't know. There should be... Plenty for Oscar Isaac. I would also say, I don't think it's ever going to happen, but like Alessandro Nivola. I was knew you were going to say that. Yes. <laughs> He's a great actor and like gets nothing. The Like the one that I could think of, and I think he got either an indie spirit or just the nomination for it is Laurel Canyon. We keep talking about Laurel mm. Canyon on mic. We do. We like, like we're, we're hovering around it. He sings. He's fucking hot. He has a lot of sex with Francis McDormand. And no, he does not with Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand is his mother in that movie. Oh, never with mind. Kate Beckinsale. He does not have sex with Francis. He McDormand. has sex with Kate Beckinsale, which is you know, which is great too. Doesn't she still flash her boobs at him though? There's like someone else. There's definitely like an Oedipal back current to that movie, but like it doesn't ever become. Well, when your mom's Francis McDormand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't really help it. Speaking anyway. of Oedipal Francis McDormand, I don't know. I want to transfer this to our guest so we don't keep him uh, in the dark for too long. But I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how to make that work. I can't. I'm sorry. I love that that was uh, your your transition point. I appreciate that. Very I just pulled the ripcord. I, I like. I jumped out of the plane and I was like, I don't want to wait too long, and so I just pulled the ripcord. And very black, very black widow of you to do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, listeners, guys, very exciting. We are back to having guests, and we have a return guest. The amazing Kevin O'Keefe is back. Yay! Hello, hello. Thank you guys for having me. It's been almost two years since I was last. I feel like the last time I was on, this was, like, still... Y'all were still, like, in the early stages of it, and now it's become this amazing, wonderful thing over the last two years. So I'm glad to be back. Two years since you've been with us. What, what are you, one of the four Season 11 All-Stars on Drag Race uh, All-Star 6? What's going on? <laughs> 
<laughs> at, which at time of recording, we at least have two left. Who knows? I was going to say, <laughs> who knows how many will be left by the time uh, you're listening to this? Yeah. 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 Listen, there's, there's a game within so many a game. queens left. Listen, by the time that this episode airs, it's still going to be plenty of season left in All Stars. Listen, that is fair, but also I appreciate that we're getting eliminations every week. We're, you know, yeah. we're not we're not wasting time. I, I, I I'm I'm a big fan of this season. I'm enjoying it a lot. I am too. Chris, Same. should we start referring to the IMDb game as the game within a game? <laughs> no, our game within a game is when we have like a six timers club. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, parental yeah. advisory, a uh, phone a friend, phone a film. That's the game within a game. Right, like right, the right, right. Like no, the, the game within a game was when I let you do just like seal award as a bonus. Uh, this uh, uh, IMDb game a few Fuck weeks ago. You, um, <laughs> I will never forgive you. Um, no, we definitely need like a last chance kitchen of the set Oscar buzz in some type of way. We'll figure like, it that's out. conceivably what this twist is going to be. That's like it's inevitable that it'll eventually be it, but whatever. Yeah. Okay, so no, if we're talking about Drag Race for just a minute, do absolutely love this season. Love what has been like seemingly on paper unpredictability of mm-hmm. like who yes. could come ahead. Yes. However, I think it is one of the most egregious seasons for like flat out riggery. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's... I, okay. I'm gonna. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's rigory so much as inconsistency baked into what some of these challenges are. I think some of I... these challenges they just do not have a set of like what are we judging on? What are we judging on when they like are not writing these lyrics to a rusical or you know singing the songs like what are, what do you what do you want them to do i don't some queens think. having more choreography than others much more than but others. i think but, yeah. but i think that you're both kind of right i think the inconsistency is to them a feature not a bug i think they like having as broad of of uh criteria as they possibly can so that they can sort of pick pick what makes most sense for the storyline like was Jan better at being Lady Gaga than Trinity K. Bonet was at being Beyonce? Absolutely not in no universe. Mm-hmm. But does right. Jan winning for the Rusical when she lost the Rusical so iconically in season 12 make the most sense for the story? Yes. So I, I, yeah. I would, I would hesitate to call it full out rigory. I agree, but I do think there is just a broad level of interpretation being allowed in terms of results right now. And I think some degree of predetermination has always existed in All-Star seasons. So, like, I've never, like, and if, like, my second favorite of the week is going to win instead of my first favorite of the week, like, I'm fine with that. Much as with the Oscars, it's just, like, I don't need you to have my exact number one, but just, like, just be in the ballpark. Just make an effort to be in the ballpark. That's fine. I I think it's also just exacerbated because, A, it has felt like a somewhat unpredictable like season cast wise, but it's also playing out in a really rewarding way with what's happening with Raja O'Hara right now. Yes. Versus like what's happening with everyone else, which feels very forced and like unorganically achieved to me a little bit. Like I don't understand what like who Akira Davenport is gonna have to fuck to be justly judged <laughs> for a single week. But, she's uh, had bad weeks, though. She's she's that prince was not bad. It wasn't uh, bad, but it wasn't bad. great. Yeah, it, I thought it was like low middle. Yeah, I did. I, I and will... yet that runway should the be run... absolutely enough yes. to but this null is... and void anybody. From but being this is part of my thing, though. 
the degree to which runway is important varies wildly from week to week. Correct. Like it's crazy. to the convenience of the judging, <laughs> to yes. me at least. Like yeah. yeah, if they will happily overlook a great look that you have if it means it fits their story. Well, like, we'll argue about this at another time. We have we have plenty of drag queeny shit to talk about. Which exactly, Jessica, we, are, we are here to talk about someone I think we can all agree would make an iconic guest judge and who would be very mm-hmm. earnest. Yes. And very into it, Miss Jessica Chastain. And you know that Rue is a fan of Tammy Faye Baker. So, like, clearly... I mean... She's well, about I, to be on Rue's radar. We Yeah, I was going to say, we've talked about this because I think that the documentary that the movie is based on is uh, yes. World, World Wonder, which was narrated by Rue. So, like, clearly mm-hmm. there's a universe happening here where, where Jessica Chastain comes on the show. For a while, you could only get access to the movie if you subscribe to WoW Presents Plus. <laughs> well, yeah. Or if you rented it through their account on iTunes. Well, that sounds about right. That's me trying to watch any <laughs> Drag Race season that's not American here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'm excited to be back to talk once more about Jessica Chastain. I feel like I'm... I was going to say... Jessica You Jess- are our leading Chastain. Because the last time yeah. I was on, I was talking about the Nutella tax and Miss Sloan, and now here we are talking about, I guess, uh, I can say it, we're talking about the most violent year. I was very, very happy that you were able to do another Chastain movie for us, and that it was this one specifically. Obviously, there are many foundational texts to our friendship, Kevin, but one of them is the uh, mimics making a circle with your finger and then saying, uh, this was very disrespectful. I feel like... You mean the single greatest line reading of Jessica <laughs> Chastain's career? Yes, that is correct. I forgot that it leads the trailer for this movie. Like, it doesn't even oh, show yeah. up at the end of the trailer. It's, like, right up front. It's just, like, yeah. we're putting our best foot forward. Yeah, our best nail forward, so to speak. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. this is very fingernail acting. She has acting. the full Adele nail. That style, that, like, cut... What do you call nails? Like, a cut, a, a shape, Whatever it was, was having a real moment at the time of this movie yes. in 2014 because Adele had those nails. Yeah, the yeah, the, no. the the sharp the sharp nail uh, evolution was really really happening then. Yeah, I referred to somebody recently as doing excellent fingernail acting, and now I can't remember, and it's going to bother me. You guys talk about this. I'm going to see if I can uh, scrounge up. The fingernail acting. Yeah, somebody yeah. was... I feel like I really appreciate good fingernail acting. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's an underrated art, and I also think it's very drag when we talk about it. Like, it's mm. very... It's very this sort of, like, touch that um, tells you a lot more. I remember when I interviewed... Um, Anne Hathaway for Colossal. It was right before Ocean's 8 had come out. And it was like while gay Twitter was like a buzz with everything about Ocean's 8 at all times. And I remember she uh, specifically, when I said, what can we look forward to? She specifically said, look at the nails. And I was like, huh, that's something I wouldn't have <laughs> thought about. But clearly it's something that she cared about a lot in her performance. And it does feel very like, uh, you know, just a little bit more than what you would think. Yeah, it was... I don't remember her nails in the movie. I, it would track that she would have those, like, I keep calling them Adele nails, but, like, Adele has, like, them the most iconically. I think what's funny is this is a period piece in 1981, and she still has these nails that were popular in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're holding on to it. We're, we're, yeah. we're holding on to a signature look, and honestly, I'm okay. here for it. If yeah. we're talking specifically about that line reading, that scene where she's with David Yellowo. It's iconic nail acting, but it's also iconic coat acting. Uh-huh. You have to say. 
She wears that coat like I think no one has worn a coat on screen in the past 10 years, except maybe Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers with that fur coat. Like I was going to say, if we're doing a Hall of Fame of coat acting, those two, those two both have to be in there for sure. Why didn't Why didn't Jessica tell David, come into my coat? and Because sort of, <laughs> he didn't deserve it, Kevin, because he was being That's disrespectful. True. He was being very disrespectful. David Ayello is good in this movie, but I love the way that his accent really, really uh, comes and goes in terms of uh, severity and intensity and i think to the point where like i do feel almost i feel like that might have been direction on jc chandor's part where like towards the end of the movie when he's really sort of dropping this facade of being um very upstanding and very sort of like ideologically pure now all of a sudden he's gonna sound like really more like brooklyn or queens or wherever the hell that accent in the five boroughs Mm -hmm. is supposed to exist but yeah this is I will say this is a movie that I feel like the first time I watched it, I felt a little bit let down by it or a little bit left out in the cold by it. And mm-hmm. watching it again this time, I was like, oh, I really, I think I really respect what it's doing a lot more than in a way that like I didn't quite grasp the first time around. I think this is a movie that pulls a lot of my sort of frustration uh, strings where it's just like I I liked The Sopranos too you guys but like I can't do another movie with like uh, a hair trigger uh, criminal who wants to sort of like striving for goodness or whatever but ultimately gets mired into uh, you know the violent world of whatever whatever but watching the movie mm-hmm. this time I was just like it's so much less violent than a yes. than its title suggests, and b mm-hmm. that like it's very it's very intentionally, um, it doesn't become this sort of like organized crime bloodbath that you think it's moving towards, and I think that's intentional, and I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, I think a big uh, a big part of what makes it work for me is that actually the most violent moment is very beautiful in a lot of ways. Well, I'll talk a lot about Bradford Young's uh, cinematography, which I think oh, is yes. gorgeous in this movie. Um, he should have gotten a lot of Oscar nominations before Arrival, and this is one of them. Um, but that final shot of the um, the blood on the wall and the, bull- and the bullet hole with the oil leak out of it, I just yeah. think that the fact that that's really the most violent moment of the film, obviously there's a couple scenes of hijacking and that sort of thing, but like that that is the most... Um, graphic moment mm-hmm. and it's yeah. very art- and it's very artful and it's very purposeful um, I will say it's interesting to hear you say this Joe because I loved this movie when it first came out it was on my, I think it was in my top three that year like I was it, me and Robert Kessler were sort of the our friend Robert Kessler yes. were sort of yeah. the, the two waving our flags like, Woo! Um, <laughs> and I and I think my feelings on it on rewatch have settled more into what you have described as respect I think yeah. that I think that there's parts of it that just don't really don't really pull me in the way they did the first time seeing it on a big screen and sort of not knowing what was happening. Now I'm sort of like, okay, I, I absolutely get what this is doing and I have respect for it. I'm not sure mm-hmm. I'm quite as enthusiastic about it as I was uh, back in 2014. I kind of feel like I enjoyed it then, but like uh, I, I'm kind of like on a level playing field with it because like there's stretches of it where I watch it and I'm like, we were really out of our minds to not respect this movie 
on a higher level than we did and pay it more attention than we did, even just outside of Jessica Chastain, outside of Oscar Isaac. But then there's also stretches of it where I'm like, nothing's really happening here. This is a little slow. Even individual scenes seem to take a long time. And I think J.C. Chandor is building up a certain tension that is atypical to what this type of movie is. And I think also this movie, like you spoke about the violence of it, Kevin, like it's atypically less violent than you expect, not even just with the title, but what the movie is and what it's about. But like, I don't know. This there's parts of it where I'm like, let's let's speed this along. And most of the like final half hour of the movie where Oscar Isaac's doing this whole chase, like some of them are beautiful shots, and there's like no dialogue, and something is actually happening. But there's a lot of room for your mind to kind of wander in this movie. I like that this movie comes the very next year after All Is Lost, the movie that J.C. Chandor had directed, and so I so I can imagine. God, I can imagine J.C. Chandor to that question. Well, honestly, yes, I did actually think of like some of the themes of this movie about just the fact that he's like selling heating oil and like, you know, nothing about this industry can ever be clean. Yeah, to get it. Whatever. Anyway, my point being, um, I could see him making this movie and being like, look, like compared to my last movie, this shit is just like moving like a Mack truck. You know what I mean? Like this thing is well, just like blazing yeah. around. Cause, and I mean, I like is, all is lost, but all is lost is one man, you know, floating in a sea of hopelessness. And it's just like, Oh, okay. Well, like there's multiple characters in this movie. So like, we're already, you know, <laughs> we're zipping around well, a lot of good character actors in this movie too. It's, it's sort of an interesting thing, right? Because this has the character actors or the, the, bigger cast of something like Margin Call, which I will mm. admit is one of, I think, five films that I've seen in my life that made me fall asleep in the theater as I was watching it. <laughs> you, want to talk about, you want to talk about a movie where nothing happens. It is Margin Call. It is it is long conversations about truly just... It, I, I know that people don't love um, Big Short, but like Big Short is how you have to do a movie about complex financial topics because... It's so dull if you just have people quietly talk about it for two hours, as J.C. Chandor did in Margin Call. So I appreciate that this at least goes a little bit more. Even with Demi Moore, Margin Call, I was just like, come on, come on, Margin Call. But like, one of. We're going to give him a screenplay nomination. It's not going to be the one that he actually got it for. We're going to give it to him for this. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think this is, this is marvelously written. I, I have. Uh, I'm a, I'm like you, Chris. I think there's a few too many conver- conversation scenes where it's just sort of like, "Can you give me money? I I would like my money. Um, this is why I deserve my money." I'm like, okay, this is yeah. just a, he does go to like few- no fewer than seven people asking for like hundred thousand dollars. It just, it's just goes on and on. There's so many. Um, yeah. I literally when I was well, get into my uh, sixty second block description in a second when I was writing it up, I was like. There's nothing that happens for a good stretch. He's just sort of talking with folks. He's just like, hey, you got a few dollars lying around? Like, it's, go go on RuPaul's He's Drag sending Race. his Venmo link out to people <laughs> for a good 45 minutes. Good, listen, just I, go on RuPaul's Drag Race and go, you know, lip sync to phone by Lizzo and win 30K. It'll help you, you know? <laughs> yeah, right? That would be a lot more economic use of your Oscar time. I Isaac lip sync to Lizzo. Absolutely. 30? $30,000 for five minutes is exactly the kind of rate that he needs to be mar- working at <laughs> yes! to get this yeah. million and a half dollars. Like, that's the pace that you got to be going at, my friend. 
Yeah. I was reading the Wikipedia summary for this plot, and so much of the Wikipedia summary is literally just like an accounting of like, so he needs one point five million dollars. Yes, five hundred thousand of it is from this, and then two hundred thousand of it is from this, and I'm just like, all right, math checks out. Like, okay, like you know, work, I guess. Like, cool. Yeah, no, it truly, it, it really is an accounting movie above all yeah. else that occasionally has some violence. <laughs> well, and who is the accountant in this movie? Jessica Chastain. So truly literally smoking is. with a glass of wine on a number machine. <laughs> <laughs> whatever we do, whatever we used in 1981 for numbers, she was on it, man. She was there. I'm telling you, I was watching that scene like, fuck, I got to get out of H&R Block. I need her. <laughs> Well, apparently not, as we find out. <laughs> oh, well, yes. Um, well, then, I guess if we're going to get a plotty, especially with some of the reveals about Jessica Chastain's character, we can move on to the 60-second plot description. Kevin, since you are our guest, it is your task today. Okay, all right. Joe I'm... and I get off the hook for I this know, one. I can we kick don't back. have to explain all of the people he goes to meet to get some money, including, like... Uh, like traditional Hasidic like businesses. Yeah, there's a lot. Interesting. There's a yeah. lot going on. There's a, there's a whole lot of the boroughs in this movie. <laughs> all all walks of life in the boroughs. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about uh, J.C. Chandor's Most Violent Year, starring Oscar Isaac, Jessica Chastain, David Oyelowo, Albert Brooks, Alessandro Novola, Elias Gabel, Catalina Sandino Moreno, uh, Christopher Abbott shows up for a scene to get beat up, mm-hmm. um, and apparently Elizabeth Marvel's in there somewhere. Yeah, she's uh, she's the wife of the guy who uh, tricks the, the cute twink salesman into getting uh, beat up in the backyard. Oh, yeah. Love that for her. Uh, <laughs> Twinks never trust Elizabeth Marvel. Um, uh, anyway, the movie premiered at AFI Fest, uh, which we've talked about before, and then Open Limited on the very smart strategic date of New Year's Eve 2014. Uh, alrighty, so Kevin, if you are ready, um, we can start the timer. Oh my god, okay, yeah, just tell me when. All right, your 60-second plot description for A Most Violent Year starts now. Abel Morales is a heating oil company head with a truck hijacking problem. His truck's full of oil are getting stolen. But despite the, his criminal family wife on his, and his wishes, and amid the ultra-violent scene of 1981 New York, A Most Violent Year, uh, Abel makes like Wyclef Jean and says no fighting. He's committed to doing business as cleanly <laughs> as he can, despite an assistant district attorney, played by David Oyelowo, breathing down his neck to try and find fraudulent business practices. But things are looking up for Abel. If he can sort a deal for an oil terminal on the East River, he just actually has to find the money. Seconds. Because the bank he was counting on but, uh, counting on is out after his competitors tried to shake him down with firearms. He armed his uh, one of his uh, one of his uh, 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 the guy with the twink we were talking about accidentally uh, gets in a gun fight. Blah 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 blah. Anyway, controversy comes. He has to find the money where he can. He talks to a bunch of different people about it. Um, the final bit of money actually comes from his wife Anna, who he finds out has been skimming money for the company for years. This is very disrespectful. But but he winds up taking it to avoid engaging with the mafia. And that's they get the terminal. Ah! And then the <laughs> twink kills himself. I lost it in the middle. Oh, I, <laughs> I lost it in the middle when you were about to say Shakira, Shakira. All right, I just <laughs> I about lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, I forgot. I forgot the the twink killing himself <laughs> at that very end. But you know, there you go. 
Yeah. Uh, famous quote from this movie, Shakira, Shakira, which Albert Brooks <laughs> says. I would pay a lot of money at a charity auction to have Albert Brooks say Shakira, Shakira in some context. Like, <laughs> me, me too. Absolutely. Albert Brooks's whole like wig and makeup work in this film is really, really funny. Like, that is yeah. commitment to a I got really bit. nervous because I forgot he was in this movie. And the last time we had Albert Brooks, he was talking about his balls. And <laughs> I was like, oh God, does he have something like that in this movie? Like, does he have testicular cancer in this movie? I thought that something like that was going to happen again. Yeah. Albert Brooks, this was an interesting sort of corner of, because of course, famously, he and Oscar Isaac also were in a drive together, although mm-hmm. I don't know if they ever shared yes. any scenes together. Um, but Albert Brooks is like the sort of fearsome criminal uh, ringleader there or whatever. He's the guy at the top of the food chain. And I saw, I remember I was starting this movie and I'm like, is he that kind of a character in this too? I had totally forgot that he was the sort of uh, haggard lawyer. And I kept waiting for him to like turn on Oscar Isaac. I've fully seen this movie, by the way. Like, there's no reason why I should have been thinking that. But I was just like, is he going to turn out to be like, you know, disloyal or whatever? And because he's always, he's a really interesting character in this, actually, because he always seems to know the thing that Oscar Isaac should be doing but isn't, and is trying to press that without kind of overplaying his hand and trying to sort of, like, Mm -hmm. impress upon Abel, like, you should be doing this, you should be, you know, uh, agreeing to what this Teamster guy wants, and and yada, 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 and seems to have a really good sort of, like, institutional know-how about all of the things that Abel won't do because he wants to keep this sort of vision of himself as like the one upstanding man in this industry. Guys, this movie's about capitalism. Did you realize? I didn't know. (laughs) It is. Okay. So like thematically, like this movie obviously is set in uh, New York city's uh, year with the most violent crimes that occurred. That's how it gets the title. Um, But like, yes, it is also kind of about, and not kind of. It is about like the impossibility of honest yes. capitalism, right, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yes. And like it's interesting, and like we don't have to fully go into this, but like I was really struck by watching it this time because I haven't seen it during any of the Trump presidency, but yeah. it does feel like almost a little quaint after the four years of trauma we've gone through. Yeah. Um. I also kind of have a thread on this movie where it feels like because has oh JC Chandor has made a movie since this yes. the very very widely seen Triple Frontier. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix's all-time famously, record holder for uh, viewership. Famously 42 million or whatever people saw it the same amount as Roma and every single movie Netflix has produced, you know, they hit that number. Um But I was going to say, like, J.C. Chandor has, like, had a harder time getting his movies made. And I do feel like there is some allegory here for the actual film industry, too, Mm -hmm. where it's like you can't, you know, make the movies you want to make as you want to make them without getting your hands dirty or without, you know, bowing to somebody's process or, like needing money from other people this Um, feels like the sort of the the third i don't want to say strike because it's like all of his movies were actually really well reviewed Uh, margin call was seen as a breakthrough for him and mm -hmm. then all is lost was you know well reviewed and almost you know 
probably came just short on a couple Oscar categories. And that was not lost. It did get one nomination. What was it? Sound editing? It was like sound or editing. Or sound mixing. Probably because mm-hmm. it's water, it's probably sound mixing. But um uh and then this just missed on at least one. Like I pretty confident that Jessica Chastain was sixth place for supporting actress this year. Absolutely. Um who was But it also it was, it, it was Laura ahead, Dern. Who, it was Laura Dern for yes. a while who sort of snuck in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yes. Which was And like I couldn't was, like I, I didn't want Jessica Chastain to be snubbed, but like I couldn't be sad because Laura Dern's right. nomination was like my most favorite thing about that nomination. Right. Yeah, I actually think Laura Dern was my number one in that category that year. But I yeah, was like, she was fantastic. Oh, but not at the not at the cost of my girl. Right, right, yeah. exactly. But wait, so what was I gonna say? Oh, so like this movie's you know, failure to do what I think I mean I think it's pretty clear that like this is a movie with like significant Oscar ambitions like this was the one that was really expected to contend especially after it took the top prize at National Board of Review and when it sort of fell apart it felt like well you've run out of options now and now you're not going to be able to do anything except for five years later this action movie and now he's directing uh a one of those Spider-Man villains without Spider-Man movies, uh, that in, in the in the tradition of Venom and uh, and Mobius. What is it called? Um, did you say it, Chris? And I just talked over you. No, I w- I was flabbergasted. Is it the one that Jared Leto is in? No, that's no it's that's Mobius. This is going to be called Craven the Craven. Hunter with uh, oh yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson. That is, uh, I well, don't believe. Isn't he just it's Aaron not... Johnson now? Oh, does he die? Have they split up? I didn't realize. I thought they did. Am I wrong? Well, now I'm sad. No, I, I mean, this it's isn't a Wes possible. Craven biopic. This is not a Wes Craven biopic. This is a Cra- Craven with a K. Oh, no, they're fine. They're still together. Never mind. God, don't scare me like that, Kevin. Jesus. There were there were there were there were rumors, but then they took some photos showing. Much like Sarah together. Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick, they weathered those rumors and stayed married for another uh, <laughs> maybe they'll stay married Whenever for another improbable phrase, decade. Whenever I hear the phrase there were rumors, I always think of the Barbara Walters Ricky Martin interview where ah! she asked him to address these woomas. <laughs> like you could simply address these woomas. <laughs> Uh, Let me tell you, it does not age well. <laughs> no, no, as those things often don't. But yeah, no, I, it, it's interesting that, like, all right, we had Triple Frontier, a movie that I famously will never see, and we have uh, Craven now. What happened here? Like, if you had told right. me, if you had right. told me Jean-Marc Vallée would be doing what he's doing in terms of, right. like, these sort of, like, ambitious, um, very tone, particular tone, TV miniseries that I think are yeah. excellent. Don't give us a third season of Big Little Lies, please. Um, but he strikes me as somebody who would be more likely, after like uh, Dallas Buyers Club, to have been like, all right, let me, you know, find, you know, let me go into the more masculine stuff, the more dude stuff, that sort of thing. And J.C. Yeah. Shandor is somebody that I would have expected to do, like, like almost, it, okay, this is going to be crazy, but like, if you told me J.C. Shandor was Sam Esmail, like, who was doing Mr. Robot, I would be like, yes, that makes complete and total sense to me. I think that is exactly what that career would have been. And the fact that he's pivoted into this space is very strange to me. Yeah, there was that sort of generation where every year or so we seem to get anointed the new sort of, like, white male 
Wonderkind, where it's just like yep. you are the next. Where it's like it was J.C. Chandor the one year, and then it was um, a Krisha guy whose name I can never remember. Trey Edward Schultz. Trey Edward Schultz was one year, and um, oh, this is the day that I keep uh, Jeff Nichols. I think was that for a mm-hmm. minute, and. Yep. Um, the It Follows director, whose name is also David Robert me. Mitchell, right? David Robert Mitchell, and even like Taylor Sheridan now feels like he's in that space, and it's just like. Correct I, me if I'm wrong, though. J.C. Chandor is a little bit different than these guys, though, because he was older when he first started his career. Was right? he? He was into. I thought he was into his forties when he when Margin Call happened. Well, he's maybe f- I'm wrong. Forty-seven now, 47 and Margin now. Call was a decade ago, so he was late thirties. Okay, so you're not mind. too far off. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I guess he's I, just one of those people who always presents as forty-five. <laughs> See, I always J.C. Chandor in my mind will always forever be like thirty-one years old. I don't know. I don't know why I've always like placed him in that kind of space of just like. I think maybe it's because his dad's an investment banker and he made a movie about investment banking. So I've always sort of seen him as like a kid of someone. But yeah. um, I think of I don't him know. Sort of, I think of him sort of in the same pot that I would put Damien Chazelle in, which is mm. like young very or youngish and very like beloved by the people. Do y'all remember that when Whiplash won all those Oscars and literally every single person walked up on that stage to accept him was like, I would throw myself at the feet of Damien Chazelle. Yeah. I yeah. prostrate myself. Like mm-hmm. it was it, I it wasn't to the same extent, but the fact that Shandor became such a like Everybody was really interested in what he was doing. You know, everybody was yeah. very much yeah. like, okay, like, we really want to see what happens next. And obviously with Chazelle, things went differently for, than they did with Shandor. But I, I do think of them as sort of in the same category. Maybe that goes to what you're saying, Joe, about like the young white direct, male director being anointed. Um, yeah. Because, because I think that happened with, you brought up Jeff Nichols and that was definitely true as well. And then we saw Midnight Special and we said, maybe not. Um, well, I think, but part of it is just like, I feel like they, like this sort of group of directors you're seeing now that like and you know i don't want to be the guy making the argument that just like man we used to give so much rope to these young white directors and now they're not getting it anymore but like but even these guys now are just like it's like one failure and now it's like either take this like you know essentially like take this desk job at you know uh with a studio movie um or like they're your your margin no pun intended, for I want to make these sort of creative personal projects is literally like, well, you get one. You get one to try, and if it doesn't work, if it works, you can make make one more. And if that one doesn't work, you're done. And you know what I mean? It's just right. like it's you're getting, and, you know, one more step on the on the chessboard. And that see, goes to the- I don't ever see J- I don't remember JC Chandor as being like heralded or anointed as a director. Like as a screenwriter, sure. But like, but he was directing all his screenplays, though. That's the thing is he was at least able to make these movies like that's. But I feel I see him a little bit more like on the same level as some of these people who got Marvel projects after certain movies. Which makes me wonder. I mean, certainly he could have been approached or like took a meeting with Marvel. Yeah. Well, and now he is. I mean, he's making a Sony superhero movie now. So maybe that was always the direction that was going. But like, and I think that's what you see with kind of everybody now that seems to be the pipeline for literally everybody is you make like if you get any degree of success with an indie or a you know sort of smaller scale film whether you're chloe Zhao or you know 
Ava DuVernay, although that didn't work out, or uh, J.C. Chandor, or you know whoever the hell the the Spider Man director now who had uh, John Watts, right? And it's just like that's the pipeline now. Is is any kind of that's the end game seemingly for everybody, or it's television, which I think is you know a thing that uh, some people are also doing is if you're not going into that big blockbuster movie direction, then you're going to make a TV show. And the good, mm-hmm. the good news is now you can do both with right. Disney plus offering so many opportunities. You know, right. I, oh, you're, you're, you're talking about like what, what he would have done if he were to go the Marvel route. I'm just imagining him making like even an even talkier version of Loki. Just everybody like sitting around in rooms <laughs> talking about time variants. Well, and it's funny because I want to get into talking about Oscar Isaac and like Oscar Isaac has a Marvel series coming out in a year and whatever. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. it just feels like if you are working in Hollywood, the mandate seems to be that like whatever else you're doing, you need to get one of these. You need to get in on one of these properties or else you are not viable in this industry. And because there are so many of them it seems like there's room for everybody at this point. You know what I mean? Just like you can like move, like there's, there's a show for you somewhere. There's a movie for you somewhere. And Oscar Isaac has found his uh, uh, Marvel property. Um, It is depressing a little bit for JC Chandor though, because it's like his movies were only getting better. I think at least from the progression to margin call, all is lost to this. mm -hmm. It's like the movies keep getting better. He's already an Oscar nominee. Granted, like, his movies never made any money, but, like, there's a progression there that you would have liked to have seen rewarded with, like, the next best thing that's not necessarily, you know, something as huge as a Marvel movie. Right. But, like, it's surprising that A24 didn't go for another movie of his. You know what I mean? Right. A24 being what they were, what they became, you know, at the time, like, it's surprising. And that he kind of latched himself onto Triple Frontier, which he essentially inherited from Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, right. Um, right. When that fell apart multiple times. But I, I think similar to what I was saying about J.C. Chandor with like a, a most violent year seeming to be like almost a last straw. It wasn't quite that for Oscar Isaac, but it was right around there where like there was a window where he had a space to be. And I fully admit that, like, my metrics for success are different than Hollywood's metrics for success, where my metrics for success are, like, he should have gotten three Oscar nominations in the span of four years. And, like, that would have made him, like, the greatest actor of his generation for me. And Hollywood is just like, yeah, but does anybody pay to see his movies? And I'm just like, fuck off. Don't talk about that. But (laughs) this little era for him where, like, he's in drive in 2011 and sort of like makes a little bit of a impression and and also we but we don't need to talk about we um he is very hot in we he's incredible that's the other thing it's just like everything that he's in prior to inside lewin davis is when people started actually knowing his name other other times before that it was just like remember that really hot guy who was in x y and z movie it's just like it was always oscar isaac yeah um but like 2013 Inside Lewin Davis is so acclaimed and he's so good. And I do feel like in a less insanely competitive best actor year, he maybe gets a shot at a nomination and maybe not, whatever. But like he's definitely Wait, in the conversation there. That year, that year is also her, right? That is her. Yeah, that was the year yeah. where, 
Joaquin doesn't get nominated for her. Robert Redford doesn't get nominated for All Is Lost. Tom Hanks yeah. doesn't get nominated. For, like you could have fielded a very plausible lineup well, that, of five that's actors. The, that, that's a very thing. worthy lineup yeah. without the five. That's yeah. what I always say is I think that I would have slotted. Every, I would have literally replaced everybody, but I still liked every performance that was nominated. It was a very very competitive. But I it's mean, an yeah, incredibly I mean, strong. He, yeah. he had that. He had um, Ex Machina around that time well, as well. Ex Machina is right after. premiered somewhere in 2014, but wasn't in theaters until 2015. Right. And around that time also is 2015, I believe. He's in that HBO miniseries, Show Me a Hero, the David Which Simon is series. so mm-hmm. excellent. Oh, my God. I, I, yeah, really I need to this. catch up to it because I feel like in the past, like, a year and a half, I have all of these people coming out of the fucking woodwork talking about how <laughs> great the show is, and nobody talked about it at the time. They, nobody they, they did Chris, but like it was so early in the Emmy year that by the time the Emmys came around, they had fully forgotten about it, which is such a shame because it really is fan. Just it's really fantastic in a way it's that I so thought um, the plot against America was. Uh, yeah, two years ago, and also like just was in a very poor section of the calendar to to be viable for Emmy stuff. But meanwhile, during all of this, too, this era that we're talking about, he gets cast in Star Wars. That's so we thing. think at the time that he is going to catapult in the way that, like, those of us who saw his movies and, like, Hollywood not paying attention to them because the movies didn't make that much money. Right. Uh, thought it was finally going to happen for him. Well, he goes through this stretch and he doesn't get any kind of, like, he can't get arrested by an awards body, which is, like, it's annoying. And then, you're right, Star Wars happens at the end of 2015. And then from that point on, his career really kind of fragments in some, I would say, unfortunate ways. Star Wars definitely makes him a household face and name, for sure. So many people saw those movies. But... I think the various ways that that series ends up disappointing over the course of three films is really, really felt with him, especially with his character, yes. especially where you're really expecting him to be like the Han Solo of it by the end. And like by the end of that series, he's just sort of running in place and nothing, you know, doesn't really nothing becomes of his character, which is a big problem with that series of films mm-hmm. in general. Um, he's also in he and Jessica Chastain also have this in common where they uh, take X-Men movies and play uh, big fancy villains that nobody likes. I haven't seen them, but I've heard enough to know. X-Men Apocalypse does nothing for him. He's actively bad in X-Men Apocalypse. It is a bad performance from Oscar. I think she's also actively bad in X-Men. Oh, absolutely. Like that's that's the thing. Uh, but She's like Wicca store manager <laughs> in, that in that movie. Um, like, I don't need to see the movie. I saw the production stills. I got everything I'm uh, going to get out of it. I, I want to I hop in here real fast to say something yeah, about, yeah, yeah. about Star Wars and X-Men, which is to say, yeah. not, not only did Star Wars disappoint in terms of the story and all of that, it was also very notoriously messy. Like, the production of it mm-hmm. all was messy. And I think that that actually does kind of matter. And I would say it's fallen harder on somebody like John Boyega, right? Who wound up being very Mm -hmm. vocal about the issues that he saw within the movie and all of that. But like his character got screwed over even more. But also to hear them like actively badmouth Ryan Johnson afterward. And like, yeah. And that all became kind of a a disaster. And I would say this goes for X-Men Apocalypse as well. It's like you're signing on to a, 
what at this point is a fairly mediocre version of this franchise. It's had much better days. It, directed by Brian Singer of, in right. this climate. You know, it, right. I would say that when we're talking about the sort of Marvel pipeline, right, at least Marvel has this sense of professionalism to it where it yeah. feels like if you're getting involved with it, yeah, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a, you know, I, I don't know how much Michelle Pfeiffer is actually thrilled that she's in Marvel movies, you know, but I think that there's still... They take up all your time to go back and do reshoots again and right. again and again. But at least, at least it has a veneer of prestige to it. I would say that... The batting average of those movies is much, much higher than the yes. X-Men movies or the Star Wars and they're movies. And they're not messy. It just doesn't feel like you're walk wading into some big production mess it, it does it's feel such like a machine that. it's so like micromanaged that like it entirely they'll throw hundreds of millions of dollars to keep it from being messy even if it's boring it's going to but be... that's money well spent as far as i'm yeah, concerned you know I what agree. i mean like i think I like that's if you have that money you know use it in that way i think i, I yeah i mean whatever but, we've had but my, po- but my point of all of this again. my point of all of this is to, just to say that like i think that oscar isaac did not necessarily benefit from getting the sort of like big movie treatment because a lot of his big movies were messy and i think that that mm-hmm. also affects how his star rises well and then interspersed with all these movies though is he makes a whole bunch of movies with sort of intriguing or notable directors that absolutely we talk about movies that don't exist but like truly we're like 2015 he makes a movie called mojave with william monahan the guy who wrote the departed script um doesn't exist the promise in 2016 the movie with him and christian bale the terry george movie doesn't exist operation finale 2018 the chris white's movie doesn't exist triple triple frontier for having been like netflix's most watch yada 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 nobody fucking saw that and then Along with that, it's either small roles in movies that work, like do good things for other people. Like he's, you know, he's in Annihilation, but he's in a very, very limited part of that movie. He's a supporting character in At Eternity's Gate, but like that works for Willem Dafoe, but not him. And then he's in just these disasters like Suburbicon and Life Itself. And it's just like, I can see why he would jump at a Marvel series when he's just like, this is what's happened every time I've tried to like take on a movie ever since essentially ex machina. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like I worry that we missed our shot to, to make it happen with Oscar Isaac, which is insane because he's still incredibly young. He's 42 years old. Like, right, right, right. And like, this is the year that could potentially like put him back on track for like the Lewin Davis type roles that we love him most for, or, you know, just roles where he, you know, takes his shirt off again. Um, because (laughs) he has next month, he's in the Paul Schrader card counter movie, which I'm very, very fascinated by. Okay. But does that not have the potential to be, like another one of these movies, a Mojave, of the Promise, an Operation Finale. Like, there's a chance there is. The cast of that, I don't, I don't think it's going to completely fall away. But like, if the movie's good, yeah, it could be special. Right. And then, of course, obviously, there is Dune. But if you know the story of Dune at all, he's, and I don't want he's not like that much. Don't get used to him. Is all I'm going to say. But right. but it's a but it's a very impactful role, even if it is a you know one that doesn't last very long. Let's and say. at least, and at least he's doing a Denis Veneuve. At least he's, you know, getting yes. the Marvel series in contrast right. to Jessica Chastain, who is in 
her flop era. Let's just be honest about it. Say that now. She's going to be that an Oscar winner That is about to change, though, because A, also both of them have scenes from a marriage about to come to HBO, which, yeah, like, I know that. a lot of the snobs are, like, hissing at it because how dare you touch uh, Ingmar Bergman, like, whatever. Um, but it's reuniting the two of them. They went to school together. They're friends. Like, They're I Juilliard think they are friends. going to yeah. Yeah. produce something worthwhile. But also at the same time, she has uh, my golden chalice in this season. I'm so uh, excited. Tammy Faye, which I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm excited too. I think we need to be realistic about it. That is what I, I refuse. I refuse, Kevin. There's plenty of time for me to be realistic after it opens. Right now, I'm going to indulge fair. my fantasy. <laughs> fair. No, I think that's fair. No, it's just it. Do, it does feel like she was on this sort of very. We talked about this a little bit last time when I was on on the pod, but like she was on this very particular trajectory of like the Miss Sloans, the Molly's Games. I would even throw a most violent year into that as well. Yeah. As as sort of these like hashtag girl bosses, you know, whatever. Right. And right. And then and then I don't she, know what three fifty five you're talking about <laughs> coming this January. <laughs> Yeah, no, I just everything everything recently, including her social media presence. I don't know if you follow her on TikTok. She's very chaotic on TikTok. There's a lot of like I love her social media presence. Oh, it's can why we, she's it's perfect for so deranged. Wait, oh my God. can we talk about how there is an IMDb page for Untitled A Most Violent Year sequel only because she chaotically tweeted <laughs> Maybe we'll do a sequel to that movie on New Year's Day in 2020. That's the only reason that IMDb page exists. It's so hilarious. It's really, really great. That energy is very everybody pretending that the uh, uh, Call Me By Your Name sequel is happening because Army Hammer just used to talk about it. It's like, well, maybe not anymore. Maybe we can delete that. But, like, that one, at least the director talked about it. Like, the the idea that they would make a sequel to A Most Violent Year is hysterically funny on its face and it's and it's that it's tied into her incredibly chaotic social media presence is just like the cherry on top it's so perfect okay speaking i do want to talk a little bit about as kevin put it her flop era um i i really just i know that this is a question that plagues certainly all three of us probably many of our listeners what type of demons does Tate Taylor as a friend (laughs) have against all of his actress friends that he can have both this assassin movie with her in it that nobody saw but it's on Netflix called Ava and uh, Breaking News in Yuba County in the same year and no one sees them. Well and they both seemed so like they both had ma potential this is the thing about tate taylor is he'll throw you those two movies but then he'll give you a ma and like will buy me five years of benefit of the doubt so it's like that's the trick is yeah i like yuba county there's no there's no telling that that couldn't have been another ma you know what i mean like there's absolutely no way of predicting that and it wasn't i still haven't seen it because it bummed me out that the reviews were that bad were that like terrible um i will end up seeing it at some point but like my expectations are no longer that it could be another ma but like i think that's the thing is there's always a chance that like it's not going to be you know good but also what is good in 2021 is sort of my feeling about that ava is sort of the same thing where like i was excited for it as a concept but ava is like in that like gunpowder milkshake bucket now where it's just like oh like as a concept of like x y and z actresses like kicking ass and and you know, being cool, I'm into it. But also, 
the you know the execution always seems to be kind of an afterthought. I can guarantee you, I will watch Ava at some point. I, I yeah. want to see Jessica Chastain hold a gun. Yeah. Like, well, that's, this is the thing. This is how they get you every single time. This is. I will watch Gunpowder Milkshake, even though I don't expect it to be good. But like, okay. Yeah, it's it's all these movies feel very like 2016, right? It's very like women mm. should be able to be assassins too. It's it's right, very, right. It's very hashtag. Why aren't there more matters. women prison guards? Kind of a thing. Yes, <laughs> literally. Like I'm like we've evolved. We've evolved past the need for this. I need everybody to catch up. <laughs> Yeah. But again, like who see like I I I'm a little bit sympathetic to the idea of just like what are you fuckers going to watch? You know what I mean? Like what can we do that is not based on a beloved comic book uh, character that you people will fucking watch? Like cuz it's not, you know, apparently you know adult dramas with themes and feelings and you know yes, whatever. Yes, but, but I will but I will say I think we had a really great example of this just last year with promising young woman like that movie yeah. the second that yeah. teaser that second that teaser hit the internet the internet blew the fuck up i know cuz i tweeted the trailer and i literally like i think until i deactivated my twitter it was still getting retweeted regularly like there yeah. are and and people watched it and and i know we don't have That's true. numbers but people watched it and I'm too cynical it, sometimes, but yes. No, but I, I get your point, but I do think it's like what I'm talking about, about like this, these kinds of movies feel very 2016 in terms of their politics. I think Promising a Woman, as divisive as it was, represented a like more thoughtful, interesting take on this sort of thing. And it proved yeah. that if you know how, if you know how to do it, uh, audiences will get excited for it, will turn out for it, awards will show up for it that sort of obviously yeah caveat it was a weird year but yeah i just i would rather see jessica chastain's promising young woman than i would her ava jessica and chastain do an emerald finale movie challenge like definitely, yeah for sure yeah. yeah yeah it's why i'm like i'm always confused i'm not confused why she loves Uper so much but like uh, Jessica Chastain and I are like the leading uh, au pair stance, right? Like she always <laughs> talks about Isabelle au pair and I'm like, okay, so why aren't you making The Piano Teacher? Like, mm-hmm. where is like that type of movie for her? Yeah. Where's her, um, where's her Greta, honestly? <laughs> that would also be her ma. Um, <laughs> it's very true. I don't know. I'm very excited for Tammy Faye because of like all of the things that you're like, she's a little bit uh, much is I think what makes her perfect for it. Like, can we also talk for a second how she recently debuted her Van- Vancouver accent at Cannes? Oh. Okay. Is that where it's supposed to be from? Because like, I am fascinated. Everyone's like, how is she French Canadian all of a sudden? Really, I think it's that Jessica Chastain is a nerd, and like, yeah. nerd voice is almost French Canadian. <laughs> well, and I could also very much, and she's from the Midwest. Like, Midwestern nerd is close to French Canadian. I could also just see her as being one of those people who, like, if you're in a place for long enough, you you pick up the accent. You know what I mean? Or and it's she's just sort preparing of like, a role, something. like Or that. that, right? Exactly, exactly. So, but I was delighted by that. That was a great day for me. The marinating in Jessica Chastain's new pan-European accent. I was very, very into it. No, it's very emotional, but don't make me cry because I already I haven't taken my pictures yet. So no, it's very it's a very emotional night. Yeah, that people was... were like, she got Lindsay pilled. <laughs> Can we at least agree that uh, A Most Violent Year is one of her best, if not the best performance of hers? It's up there for me. I So I'm it's a big, there. staunch uh, fan of her 
Zero Dark Thirty performance. I actually think absolutely. I, I, I I'm a big fan of Zero Dark Thirty in general. I think it is better than the Hurt Locker. I think the contra- mm-hmm. I think the controversy that tanked it is so fucking dumb in retrospect. Uh, it was dumb at the time, but it's only dumber now. Do you believe we allowed um, Glenn Greenwald to totally tank the Oscar chances of, course, of a movie? Do you believe that we did we that of in this life? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I love the Zero Dark Thirty performance so much. I think it is exactly what that movie needs. She plays it such a live wire the whole time. Where that final breakdown, it just it it made me weep. I just it was such a exhalation, and I don't think it works without her playing that so well the whole time. So that's probably my favorite. I also love her in The Help. I think she's a fucking blast in The Help. Um, I adore her. Uh, 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 losing my train. I adore her uh, Molly's Game performance. Um, but this, this is the thing. Like, for, like up there. Say what you will about Molly's Game. But, like, on a performance level, the way that she, like, superstars that movie yeah. is... Not everybody can do that. Like genuinely, right. that movie is a disaster with ninety percent of other actresses. And it's bull- it's bullock is honestly, and it really takes advantage of her ability to sort of unironically dial into the the Aaron Sorkin temperature in a way yeah. that, like, I think other people might have fought that a little bit or might have tried to make it better, I guess, in a way that, like, would have made it worse. And I think she's just like, oh, like, this, you just want me to be, you know, charging into every room and, you know, knowing everything about everything and having, like, this, like, frightening degree of confidence. And it, like, oh, it so works, I think. Yeah. Two performances we haven't mentioned that I love. Uh, She absolutely fucking freaks it in Crimson Peak. Yes, uh, I love that movie. She is sensational. She knows exactly the movie that she is in, and I think like that's an era for her where she's taking these supporting roles with like big directors that don't serve her, like The Martian or Interstellar. Whereas this one does, and is a fun, this interesting, slander, different character for her to play. God, I can't believe I'm hearing Murph slander on my own podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I am slandering mid Murph. Um, <laughs> intermediate Murph. Intermediate Murph. She plays intermediate Murph. Um, and then I also think she's really amazing in um, Take Shelter, yeah. which when people talk about that movie, they yeah. talk about Michael Shannon, but like she is giving an equal performance to that movie that is like incredibly... like. I think Michael uh, Shannon gives a very obvious performance in that movie. I think she's absolutely the most impressive thing about that movie. I mean, I, 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 obvious, sure, because I think that's less the performance's problem and then maybe the way that it's presented in the movie, mm-hmm. but... I think she's sensational in that movie. I think Michael Shannon gives a lot of obvious performances, but I'll maybe leave it at that. Yeah, you're not a fan. I'm not. I'm not a super huge fan. Um, She is in one memorably terrible movie the same year as uh, Most Violent Year, although I don't think it came out until the next year. But Miss Julie, the uh, speaking of scenes of a marriage, speaking of Lee Volman, Miss Julie's terrible (laughs) on like every level. And it's so full of people that I love. It's like her and Colin Farrell and Samantha Morton. And it's just, it's so overwrought. And the acting is just really, really bad. Like kind of across the board. And it was painful to watch. Looking at this poster, I remember this now, but I completely forgot about this movie. 
Well, it like it made no impact. It played it played Toronto in twenty fourteen, and it was not very well received there. And it kind of limped out on a release in sometime in twenty fifteen. And yeah, not it was a non starter. Although it had one of those like you know early lead buzz kind of things we could end up doing yeah. this podcast if we wanted. Was it to. just uh, VOD before VOD was you know fine? It might have been. <laughs> oh, what was I think. I going back to Oscar Isaac for a second. I think one of those movies that uh, that doesn't exist. I think it was Mojave. Like totally got released on like some kind of VOD platform or whatever. Like wasn't even a wasn't even a theatrical release. And I think it's I don't know. It's just a bummer when these you know really talented actors make these movies and then they just like you know they go nowhere. But oh, yeah. one more thing I want to say about scenes from Marriage because I watched the trailer before we uh, recorded. They pull a really like dirty trick that sometimes trailers do, where uh, the the text on the screen says "based on the acclaimed series," and that's that card. And then they wait like five seconds, and it goes from Ingmar Bergman, and they wait just long enough that like you maybe forgot about what the previous card was, and they try and maybe <laughs> fool you into thinking that this series is coming to you from Ingmar Bergman. The ghost of Ingmar Bergman. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, Can you imagine how disturbing something would be if it was directed by the ghost of Ingmar Bergman, considering his shit was already upsetting for a lot of his That's movies. true, that's he, has, he has going for broke after after his passing, yeah. Um, can we, uh, as we're talking about these people and their Oscar chances, can we talk about my beloved Bradford Young? Yeah, I was just about to stare that. Oh yes. my god. Tell it. The... the Truly was like the best in the business, but he hasn't done anything since um Solo. Uh, uh yeah, since the Ava DuVernay show. Um, oh when right, they see us. when they see us, twenty nineteen. Yeah, I would like there to be more. I want more. I thought there would be more. I guess to speak of a supporting actress winner from uh, from the same year as the most violent year, <laughs> he had uh, done the cinematography for Selma and Middle of Nowhere for Ava. He had done Pariah for D. Reese. Mississippi Damned for Tina Mabry. Um, he had done the cinematography for Mother of George, the uh, Denai Guerrera starring uh, Mother of George. He did the cinematography for uh, Anthem Body Saints, which is a movie that I don't care for, but like looks fantastic. And he was just like, his batting average was flawless. Like he just yeah. like, he didn't mm-hmm. miss. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is just such a... I think this movie is one of the best examples of why his work is so excellent, right? Because there's a way in which this becomes muddy and gross and ugly, and it is not any of those things. The color palette is very distinctive. You get the vibe of the movie immediately, but you can see everything. Like, it is is so handsomely shot. Um, I I think... I, I, I talked a little bit earlier about the the final big dramatic shot with the bullet hole in the wall with the, with the blood. It's just so, uh, it, every bit of it works for me on a cinematography yeah. level. Um, and it's, it's a lot of what he would go on to do later in arrival that I love so much. It's, it, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's sweeping without being obnoxious about it. It's, it's yeah. exactly the right color palette and tone. It's just, uh, I, 
I love him so There's much. a real sense of like scale and yes. intimacy at the yes. same time that really kind of hones in on the character dynamics and it really enhances them in a way that it's like, yeah. I feel like maybe some of the direction is a little bit more like matter of fact, but like uh, just the way he captures like the space of their home versus yes. like the cityscape. It's like, yeah. Um, it really kind of allows you because the movie is kind of slow paced. I think he's creating really dynamic images yeah. that kind of allow you to marinate in the themes, even when the movie is slow. Well, and yeah. part of it is also uh, JC Chandor's uh, decision making, where so many of the most impactful scenes, and I think all of the action heavy scenes, are all daytime scenes, right? There's not mm-hmm. like the, I think the most significant nighttime scene I can think of is. That when they hit the deer and she shoots the deer, which also, by the way, hysterical. Like it's mm-hmm. it's very, oh god, just like the the Lady Macbeth of it all, where it's just like you're not gonna get your hands dirty, I'm gonna get your hands dirty, and it's just like, I'm gonna shoot the fuck out of this deer. Um, but all those daytime action scenes, the chase, you know, the the two Christopher Abbott scenes where he's you know getting chased, the train scene, uh, you know, where they're he's chasing him through the train, the uh, the suicide scene, as you mentioned, Kevin, all being done in this very just accusatory daylight almost you know what i mean Mm -hmm. where it's just like we Uh are not going to you're not going to be able to hide from this you're not going to be able to you know be shadowy about this you're going to have to be corrupt out in the clear blue sky and and it's also great like non-snowy winter also you can just Mm -hmm. like tell that it's just chilly but you're just like the snow that's starting to get gross. Too, yeah, right. There is snow where well, you're just like you're standing at the water, and you know that that breeze is just like unkind. That's also so well, uh, so well shot in the. Uh, this was very disrespectful scene where mm. it just looks bleak out. It looks it looks like a miserable winter outside. Not- it's that type part of winter where you're just like, are we fucking done with winter? Yes, yet? like yes. can we please? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, going back to the coat acting, it's also a big part of like, you know, just watching people sort of, the costuming in this movie is actually really great, I would say. It's, it's, and beyond that coat, it's all very non-showy, but it tells you a lot about every single one of those characters, which I love. That's my, that's Mm -hmm. sort of my ideal kind of costuming is, it's just detailed enough, like, I love how we see Oscar Isaac in contrast to David Oyelowo. I love that there's just like a there's sort of two presentations of the same idea of like how much are you presenting as non-corrupt versus actually being corrupt. So there's that sort of like buttoned up thing happening. Oh, I just the the detail in this movie is really really impressive across the board. I would say it's it's it. I think I think on this watch I may have been less impressed by some of the filmmaking in terms of, or at least in terms of the story, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was way more impressed by, and I noticed a lot more of just so many of the details that really work in those. The craftsmanship of this movie is so like exquisite and very specific, very character specific, very era specific that it's like, if this was just a very, if JC Chantor was telling this story in a different way, one that was, you know, perhaps less introspective and more flashy, showy, it could have been a multiple Oscar nominee very conceivably just because of how like well-made and stunning it is to look at. But um, also if we're talking about the costumes in this movie, I would be remiss not to bring up 
uh, Alessandra Nivola in tennis shorts, which was, I mean, a very impactful scene as far as I was concerned. He's really good in this movie. Beyond tennis shorts aside, he's very, very good in this movie. Honestly, all of the not. all of the character actors are though where it's just like yeah. who like um Patrick Breen shows up for a second I always enjoy uh when he is around uh, Glenn Fleshler who at that point I think I think True Detective had happened by this point or was sort of happening around this point because I remember watching this movie and being like where do I know that guy from it's just like oh right he's the scariest fuck guy from the first season of True Detective um mm-hmm. We talked about Elizabeth Marvel. We talked about my beloved Christopher Abbott, who I love in everything and is great in this. Um, uh, oh, what's his name? Jerry Adler from the Good the Good Wife. I know he's in other things, but um, oh my god, uh, uh, Howard Howard Lyman! I lost my mind when I realized it was him. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as the uh, as the uh, businessman, he's he wants to buy the oil yard from. Um, yeah, really, really fantastic set of uh, of character actors in this. I I enjoy a movie where I can sort of what were we talking about? Where I wanted it to be better populated with character actors. Chris, this was happening recently. Oh my god, Delovely. I wish that Delovely oh, yeah. had the sort of like the level of uh, of character actor attention to detail as this one did. I don't. How dare you disrespect Alana's to not call her a character actor? <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's a really strong ensemble. I think so. Talking about the the scene with the businessman who says it up, I think that was one scene that kind of struck a different chord with me this time. It's very obvious the whole scene, like it, it, to yeah. the point of almost being literal. And I think this is where I sort of tire of um, uh, Accounting One Hundred and One, starring Oscar Isaac and Justin Chastain. <laughs> um, is literally he says. He says, you're paying a down payment. You will have to pay the rest later. If you don't, I will go to your competitor. And he I says it down, twice, too. Your down payment. And I'm like, that's how down payments work. Like, that, that we don't have to literally <laughs> sit there and underline it. And I think it was very, just so you know, it was on very, top of your down Chad payment, Michaels, we will be charging you this thing called interest. Yeah, yeah. It was interest. It was very it's Chad Michaels, girl, we got it. Like, we it got was, it, girl. We got yeah. it. Yeah. No, it. That that is the part of the movie that doesn't work as well for me. Is just it does feel like almost almost in reflection of the Wikipedia page, and maybe that's why the Wikipedia page does it. It just feels like painstaking in terms of like you need to understand yeah. what's happening here with money. And I'm like, I don't really care that much about the money. I right. I don't. I don't think that's what's interesting about this movie at all. This is why I'm excited for scenes from a marriage because the best scenes in this movie are the like late at night home scenes between Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain where her character has maybe had three glasses of wine and he's had a shitty day and it's like it's the character dynamic between them and the secrets that they have that make it way more like easy as something to connect to not just on a human level but on thematic level yes uh I will say the fact that we don't use the gif of Jessica Chastain just walking in brandishing a gun is a yes. On all of our <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will. I will start to rectify this. I. I will do my part in this mission. Um, I remember the GIF that like free that like it wasn't even. This is very disrespectful, which I feel like eventually latched on. But I remember when this trailer first dropped and the shot of her sitting on the steps with a cigarette next to her face, yeah. just like silently crying, is just like yeah. Um, it's it's like amazing. Every time I watch the movie, I'm like. 
the old lady Jif uh, Academy Award, you know. Also, the decision to shoot that one, the the shot subsequent to that, where she's saying goodbye to the the party guests and their parents as they're leaving, and then the camera just stays fixed, and the mm-hmm. cops start entering the house the same time as like the stragglers from the party are also leaving, and it communicates so much of just like how. Uh, embarrassed and sort of called out, she feels like at that moment mm-hmm. is really, really well done. I love that. I'm excited to see uh, Stephanie Germanata recreate this performance this year. <laughs> oh God! In House of Gucci, you we're all very excited for uh, House of Gucci. It's it's gonna be a mess. I can't wait. <sighs> so, award season started out actually really well for a most violent year because. Like, shockingly so. Yeah. Like, National Board of Review comes out, and they pick it as their top film of the year, which seemed to indicate that, like, this was going to be one of those late-breaking movies that is a force to be reckoned with. But if you look at the top ten list from NBR, you can point out why, not like the reason why but like a reason why it didn't happen was it really got its thunder stolen by another late breaking movie that year being uh american sniper which turned out to be like the late movie that year that like because it was such a box office success it's all anybody could talk about and i'm i don't know if without american sniper a most violent year is a best picture nominee but it didn't help that there was no oxygen for it in the yeah. in the landscape. I mean, so much so that American Sniper probably also took the oxygen out of Selma too, which is also yeah. incredibly late breaking. Yeah. Like, yes. When they showed that at AFI Fest too, because it famously premiered the same day as American Sniper at AFI Fest, like Selma didn't even have credits on it. Right. Like that's how late Selma was finished. Selma yeah. Selma um, also was one of the infamous like did not get screeners out to SAG examples, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah, it's always tough when that happens because you understand why, but it's also like, well, fuck, because the movies it happens to are always like that, and if Beale Street could talk, and like these yes. like amazing movies, quite frankly, often uh, uh, by and about people of color and black people, and it's right. just like, of of course we're going to use the excuse of not of no screeners, right? Like, of course that's gonna, of course that's gonna be the thing said. When in reality, we could have more of a conversation about like why an American sniper takes off in the way that a Selma doesn't. And but I also uh, wonder if there's something to be said for movie studios and sort of the awards campaigning apparatus feeling like they need to hustle these movies with, you know, black uh, black stories, black creators, black themes out at the end of the year. Almost like they don't trust that these movies are going to be able to sustain uh, their acclaim long enough. That they almost feel like they have to try and, you know, really quickly. Because uh, I think of I think of also something like Hidden Figures, where we've talked about Chris before. That if Hidden Figures has maybe mm-hmm. a few more months in that awards season, like. And they didn't rush. Does it? Out. Does that? Is that a best picture winning film? Maybe because like the acclaim, the the enthusiasm for it was so loud. But they they released it at the very 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 end of the year. Couldn't have been later in the year. And I think it has no bearing whatsoever on the actual quality of the film. But I think it it maybe shows a an unwarranted mistrust on the f- part of the studios that they don't 
believe that those movies can um, withstand, I guess, months and months of scrutiny, which I think has been disproven, you know, time and again between like 12 Years a Slave debuting at Toronto and absolutely having the stuff to make it to a Best Picture win at the end of the year to things like Get Out premiering in February. And it definitely Mm -hmm. like still had the stuff to make it all the way through to the end of that year. So I don't know. Maybe this is just, maybe I'm just, you know, cherry picking examples, but it does feel like that's maybe a thing. No, I agree with you. I mean, like to also like the thing I think about this is like to Kevin's point where it's like, oh, it's super convenient to say you didn't have screeners for this or whatever, or that like something wasn't campaigned well enough. But there is a certain onus on the people that are actually doing voting to prioritize these movies to see, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's 100 percent true. And it's it's where I think a lot of the conversation around because we are f- firmly at this time in uh, Oscar So White era. This is the first no, year, right? Yeah, this I was going to say this was the first of the sort of one two punch of 2014, 2015 back to back where. Right. Because like, then. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was yeah. Go, you go for no, it. No, I was just gonna, and then the ne- very next year is uh, the Moonlight Hidden Figures year that sort of put things right. Their book ended by Twelve Years a Slave on one end and Moonlight on the other end, but there's right. this this desert in between them. Right, but yeah, I think that was the conversation that maybe wasn't being had. There was uh, Oscar So White was a was a obviously tremendous movement, and I think wound up ch- actively changing the Academy forever. You know, like that yeah. was. Mm-hmm. Show Moon Isaac said, all right, fuck it, we're fixing it, and God bless her for it. Um, but I think that the conversation often sort of fell into extremes in a way that there was actually a more nuanced way to be like, there is an onus on membership that already exists to be doing this work, and therefore there is an onus on leadership to be pushing them to do that. Like, yeah. the the Academy didn't need to just add... It's good that they added more members. It's good they added younger, more diverse yeah. members. But there was also things that they could do just in terms of, like, what are they scheduling for Academy screenings? Like, what are they right. prioritizing right. in terms of what they're getting out to their membership? And I think there could have been mm-hmm. a little bit more conversation about what they could do on that level. Because if a, if a Selma comes out and doesn't have the ability to get screeners out, the Academy should be like, all right, how can we help? How can we, right. what what can we do to help even the playing field here? Because it's unfair to be like, well, because, yeah, because you didn't get the screeners out, you're not going to actually be actively considered for anything other than your song and a Best Picture nomination. You know, it was. Right, right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, it's long since over <laughs> at this point, but it's still a sore spot. Yeah, but I mean, it's so like when you talk about the awards year of 2014, it's like one of the big things that you can talk about. Yeah, yeah. I'm sort of I'm here staring at this top 10 list from NBR for this year, which has the very sort of I feel like it's a very classic National Border Review mix where it's like mm-hmm. some ones that turned out to be Best Picture nominees, where it's like Birdman, Boyhood, the top two sort of movies that year that were jockeying for Best Picture for a the while. The top two all stars of the week. Exactly, exactly. Um, American Sniper was there, Imitation Game. Um, and then, and then you had sort of the movies that like got a nomination here or there, like Gone Girl and Inherent Vice. Um, Nightcrawler, which I think was the very big like Justice 4X, you know, movie that year. Um, screenplay nominee though, right? I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, the Lego movie, which people forget. 
people forget how celebrated the Lego movie was at that moment. And I was... And how shocked people were that it wasn't a um, animated, animated feature, feature nominee. Yeah. yeah, insane yeah. that that was the case. And then I think the more classic NBR outliers were... I mean, you could say a most violent year, too, because it ultimately didn't get any Oscar nominations. Um, but I think Fury and uh, Unbroken are the ones where I'm just going to look at this list and just mm-hmm. be like... God, you had to throw... I mean, like, I don't think Unbroken's a bad movie, actually. Angelina Jolie is Unbroken. But it is a... It's a deeply fine movie. It's It can be a slog to sit through. And it's just like, there was... I think there was an era... We talked about silence somewhat recently, where it's sort of just like this genre of movie where it's just like, I'm watching these very handsome actor Hollywood actors just waste away to nothing to prove their, like, resilience in the face of XYZ. And it's just like, okay... Um, Silence is the good version of that. But see, the thing, it doesn't feel typical of National Board of Review for this movie to win Best Picture. Like, normally it's something like The Imitation Game, right? That yeah. does eventually become, uh, like, kind of an also-ran Best Picture nominee. This is, like, one of the, like, those people who get crazy about stats. It's like, this is forever an asterisk when they talk about National Board of Review yeah. alongside, like, Quills. <laughs> I was just about to bring up Quills. And even Quills got a Best Actor nomination for Jeffrey Rush. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is even more right. of an outlier than that. I'm trying to, I'm sort of going through the years and trying to find something that was, I think Quills was definitely the one that jumped to mind, but like something that was quite that much that didn't get any kind of Oscar nomination. It's so atypical for them because we like, we talk about National Board of Review, like they are the, like, pinnacle star fuckers aside from the globes and it's like they give this movie from what was then an upstart independent distributor three awards one of which is a tie but like including best picture like that's really surprising do you know what comes closest actually to to a most violent year on that level of oscar futility is this past year with to five bloods like that's uh-huh. As close oh, yeah. as it's come. And and again, it's... Ugh, don't remind me of that. That movie got screwed over. But yeah. also, like, those are two of the more interesting, and I would say, yeah. like, celebratory, like, choices that they've made over the years. Yeah. I would much prefer, you know, A Most Violent Year and To Five Bloods to, like, the year that they picked Finding Neverland as the best picture of the year. <laughs> oh, boy. I, oh, boy. I often feel like NBR feels like it has... Like different membership every year. Like it truly yeah. has. Well, they're not upfront with who their members are. Yeah. They say that it's like there's some people in the press, there's people who are historians, there are people who are archivists, stuff like that. That's just like, well, okay. I think it's I think it's three boys in a trench coat who just sort of <laughs> decide what they want. It's literally I mean, it's literally Vincent Adult Man from Bojack Horseman. And one of them is Leonard Moulton. <laughs> and yet, you know what? If they had, if they were just upfront and just be like, "We do a revolving panel of like selected members," I would fucking celebrate it because I feel like Absolutely. more more organizations should do that because I think juried awards end up being more interesting. That's why we got some great uh, BAFTA nominees. Why this we year. got great and also insane BAFTA. Uh, I remember waking up that morning and being like, "I'm sorry, what? What just happened?" The, the the high degree, high percentage of like, I got to write that title down because I have not yeah. heard of it and I want to see this now. It was yeah. like very high with BAFTA. Yeah, God bless him. 
God bless them for nominating um, Ashley from Revenge. When I saw her name on the list, I was like, good for you, Ashley from Revenge. <laughs> I can always count on you to bring up Revenge, Kevin, and I'm very, oh. very happy about that. Oh, I will I will be thinking about Madeline Stowe and Revenge for the rest of my... That will, that will be one of the last things I think of before I pass from this mortal coil. I'll be like, you know what? Madeline Stowe really deserved an Emmy for Revenge. And then just like, curtains. It's... Jessica Chastain would have been great on Revenge. I'm just oh oh my god yeah she would have been great. Well, also uh, for a most violent year got a few Independent Spirit Award nominations. Now this was the second of a two year span where the eight acting winners over those two years matched with Oscar seven of eight, which is like which is my I least it. I hate it so much. It's my least f- favorite flavor of independent spirit awards where they like they just really and again i say this a lot part of that was that the indie spirits were getting more oscary but also the oscars were getting more indie spiritsy like the fact that like but you know my other grudge with the i independent know spirit awards i it's know because you can pay to become a finger quotes member and vote on their awards whereas like people are just paying to vote on indie spirits and it creates these very basic winners I, anyway I will say, no, I go never, ahead, Kevin. I, I never knew that. Y'all broke that news to me on this podcast <laughs> that, that, they, that you could pay to be an indie spirit voter. I literally never knew that. And I I think it's just very at odds with the whole ethos of indie spirit. It's, it's if you told me Golden Globes did that, I would be like, sure, 100%. Or, right? Or like, Absolutely. Or like the Golden Satellites. It, Indie spirits? It strikes me as so. I mean, it's funding American independent. Well, that's I get it. So, like, that's the part of it where I'm like, you know what? Whatever. It's just a trophy. But like, at the same time, when indie spirits does have these cool nominees that just really have no chance of winning, and sometimes they're the ones that deserve the win, and like, will never, will not get mentioned on anything else. It just kind of. Not not never though because I was just thinking uh, Sean Baker's latest movie just debuted at, at Cannes and I was thinking about my yeah. beloved tang- I was thinking about my beloved Tangerine. Um, <laughs> that is very true. That's and very Maya true. Taylor won, and I had forgotten that, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's right! She has a whole Indie Spirit Award." And I'm so, I'm, I'm sunnier. Yeah, I'm sunnier on the spirits here than than Chris is, and I do feel like like it's not a very high price point to be able to pay your way into, of you know film independent and i think that and the fact that it is sort of helping to you know fund that the work that they do with independent filmmakers makes me feel less you know i don't feel like it's on the level of a you know golden globes or anything like that there doesn't seem to be like yeah, i'm, I'm a being overly churlish about it you are it's <laughs> <laughs> That was very Shangela true. You'll never be glamorous. <laughs> how dare how I am I am furious I have been equated to Mimi I'm first. You walked never right again. into that one. You no, uh, but Kevin, you you mentioned uh you know us breaking news on this podcast, which made me of course think of the Saturn Awards. And guess what was a Saturn Award nominee in twenty fourteen? A most violent year. Breaking news and you <laughs> Um, that's how I'm going to preface all of my, uh, all of my statements from now on breaking news in Yuba County. Uh, I'm having a sandwich for lunch. Um, no, a most violent year was a Saturn award nominee for best independent film, which like continuing my just 
utter bafflement at what exactly counts as a, a, a nominee at what is still called the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. So, like, what rubric are we judging a most violent year under that, like, that I guess, like, crime is a genre now that is that qualifies it for a Saturn Any award? movie that is not a straight drama, straight comedy, Like, literally, musical. they're just like, unless you're, like, a lesbian love story, you count for a Saturn <laughs> award. Like, I genuinely don't understand. <laughs> And even, Up in against, Carol, even in Carol, she says flung out of space. So what, why isn't that eligible? Exactly. That should count. <laughs> Carol is famously science fiction. <laughs> Canonically a science fiction film, Carol. Um, nominated at the Saturns, by the way, opposite another Oscar Isaac movie that doesn't exist that I didn't even mention before, which is the uh, Hossein Amini-directed uh, Patricia Highsmith adaptation, speaking of Carol, um, The Two Faces of January. Do you remember this at all, well, you guys? Wasn't that supposed to be terrible? I think so. Kirsten Dunst, Viggo Mortensen, Oscar Isaac, uh, in a movie that absolutely like came and went and did nothing, and is also like it's a con artist drama. So again, why are you a Saturn Award nominee? I don't understand this at all. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> like, I guess did they look at the title and there were like two faces on January? That's not real. Like that is. I'm sure they definitely nominated your treasured Brit Marling movies as their independent film. Uh, can film yeah, can I tell you another nominee in this category is I Origins? Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't think is specifically uh Brit Marling, but it's like Brit Marling adjacent, right? No, she's a star she's in that. She just didn't uh, write or direct it. But yes, she's definitely in that movie. Yes, you're right. The, beha- you're right. the behavior that exhibited was Brit Marling like. Was Brit Marling, yes. <laughs> Um, very disrespectful. And of course, the winner in that category was Whiplash. Famous science fiction movie, Whiplash. Listen, sound? Sound? It is a horror film. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what they said. That it's, a, it's a canonically a horror film. Whiplash is elevated horror. It's really about grief and trauma. Their winner for uh, in the international film was The Theory of Everything. I wish I were making this up, but I am not. Oh my god. <laughs> I this don't... Is a... <laughs> understand it this is a fun party game though is throw out a satellite category and you have to you have to make up justifications for why everything got nominated right right exactly or like just throw out a movie we need to be on the saturn voting committee so that we can really bring i'll pay i'll pay five bucks what's the what's the you know let's give us give me a low bar and i'll pay for it and we'll do it best action adventure film unbroken It truly was. That was their winner. What an adventure. What an adventure. The, an adventure like no so other. So many adventures. <laughs> Just All right. Oh anyway, we could be doing this all day. Uh, Oscar Isaac won the NBR tied with Michael Keaton that year, which was cool. Who should have won the Oscar? Um, Oscar I mean, Isaac I'm or fine Michael with... Keaton? Uh, both of them. Okay. Let right. them tie again. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tie. <laughs> oh, I love it. We need a good God. That's what we need Oscar at the Oscars. Oscar Isaac in the most violent. <laughs> we need a tie in an acting category in the worst way at the Oscars. Like, can I? Can you think of a more feel good thing to happen at the Oscars in these days? When just like you know what the feel good tie would be what? if Amy Adams and Michelle Williams <gasps> won. So neither of us would have to pay each other fifty dollars. That's very generous. We could just celebrate together. Wait, you, you who think you have bet? the sewn up 
Oh, or explain the bet, Chris. You think you've already okay, won. Okay, so it. on our Thousand Acres episode, I bet Joe 50 bucks that Michelle Williams will win before Amy Adams wins. I think you have the This is going which is, in perpetuity. I, I which is Chris not out of the, the question, but I felt yeah. like it didn't it didn't deserve to go unchallenged because like I'm going to stick up for my girl Amy here. Joe resents my confidence here. Yeah, I because mean, just... Michelle Williams is going to be playing who? Who what's what was the biopic that was announced? Peggy Lee. Right, Peggy Lee. Oh, you know shit. what? I didn't know that. All right, Kevin. No, no, no. That's not <laughs> Kevin's. Kevin's with me. Don't on be this. on Chris's side here. <laughs> well, okay. What are you thinking? Amy's gonna win for? I don't know, but not like disenchanted, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like she's not. She's this not. This is getting... not a dig against Amy. I obviously love her. I've been on this podcast talking about how I love for my love for her, but. Yeah, but we we want to talk about somebody being in their flop era. Like literally, the tweet was the one of my followers is in her flop era, and I feel so bad because she's such a cool girl. And somebody quote tweeted and just said Amy Adams. Like that is <laughs> that is where we are right now with her. The the Dear Evan Hansen of it all is depressing me. Uh, the fact oh, that they cut God. her and Julianne Moore's song is depressing me. It's that's it's gonna be the tie. They're both gonna tie for Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> wow, <laughs> truly. A moment. Yeah. 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 No, you're not wrong about Amy Adams being in her flop moment, but the kind of movie that she will win for is not going to be like, that's a movie that could like come together in the span of eight months. Do you know what I mean? Like that is, she's not going to win for, I think so. Is she going to Ingrid Bergman for Murder on the Orient Express when she's 60? Uh, Boy, the curse that you are putting on her. That's what I think is going to unfortunately happen. Amy Adams. I want her to win for something that's good. It's adorable. Even if it's like we think it's really good and everybody else is like, who cares? Like Still like Alice. Still Alice. For yeah. 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 I just don't see it. Still Alice, notoriously a movie that should have three acting nominations. Absolutely. 100% it should. It's adorable, by the way, that you think they're going to allow them to make any more Murder on the, on the Orient Express movies after uh, Army Hammer has <laughs> completely destroyed years Army, for that movie to come out. That that trailer coming out when Army Hammer and Gal Gadot were both going through their controversies simultaneously was the most cursed energy. And <laughs> and Letitia Wright. Like, that's the other yes! thing. It was also, yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. It was a triple yep. play. People started yep. noticing yep. She, She's kind of in the back of the poster or whatever, and people started noticing, we're like, oh, God, also she's here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's just that grimace from Don French in the trailer is just, like, the (laughs) mood for everything to do with that movie. I'm still excited for that movie for that reason, for Jennifer Saunders and Don French. Like, that's what I'm I'm there for. Sure. Yeah. I agree. If they ever release it, which, like, they might not. It's Dis- it's Disney, right? Because it's Fox. They could. That's the thing. They could just dump it on Disney Plus unceremoniously. But because of Army Hammer, I think that that you know they're, they're dumping it on Hulu. Army Hammer is not Disney Plus appropriate anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Throw them on there with Victor. <laughs> I mean, like they've already spent so much money on this movie. Like I was genuinely surprised they didn't all the money in the world this movie, considering how far out they pushed it. You know what? In, but it's like, in I just feel like so many people that you have to get so many schedules. I was going to say, there, yeah. there, it takes a very specific Absolutely. kind of movie to even be able to do in All the Money in the World. I think the fact that that movie was able to do that really, like, unrealistically uh, put that option on the table for anything. And it's just like, 
you have to have a character who's really siloed off from everybody in a right. Like they have to reshoot this whole movie with a million people. You You basically have to be a queer character in a in a Disney Marvel movie who is like so (laughs) isolated, so that they can be excised for the Chinese. So uh, isolated to their retail store and their David Bowie getup. Just like so that they can you know cut them out for the for the uh, the the Chinese Chinese release. release. That like yes, you can. It's that degree of isolation. To all the money in the world, you really do have to have somebody as crazy as Ridley Scott. Do you remember the interviews he was giving around that time where he's like, I'm a fucking madman, I'm doing this? He <laughs> he must have, I don't know, I want to know what he was on. Because he was truly, he said, I'm fucking doing this. And you know what? He, I honestly think, like, hubris and spite. And I think that's what he runs on. And honestly, like, uh, good for him. Oh, boy. That saga of that movie. We talked, we mentioned that recently here too, Chris, right? Where it just, wasn't just that, it was also... Um, the salary dispute thing with uh, yep. with Michelle Williams and Mark Wahlberg and and like it's not a great movie but like I did find it watchable and I enjoyed it actually I kind of enjoyed it yeah you really I like liked it movie. I remember that yeah I like that movie yeah I mean Mark Wahlberg is absolutely like not even there yeah. he's the lead of the movie and he is not there the hardest but, trivia like, question in all of movie trivia is name the male lead of all the money in the world. <laughs> impossible impossible to tell yeah yeah looping back to a most violent year i think this is definitely the closest to an oscar nomination movie that we have done in i don't even know how long like there i think there's no question that jessica chastain is in sixth place globe nominated critics choice nominated a million different um like regional critics nominations and it's like it's obviously Laura Dern that got that spot because she was the surprise nominee. But the one who shouldn't have it, and you know I hate to speak ill of uh of of the Queen, but like Meryl shouldn't be there. No. What was like, that Meryl nominate? Was that was Into that the Woods? Into the Woods. Oh, yeah. oh no. Fuck yeah. that. No. Into the Woods. Half of that nomination is Donna Murphy. We talk about uh well. We, Chris and I have had the discussion of which uh, Meryl nominations would you take away. And Chris, you always mentioned Florence Foster Jenkins. I think Into the Woods is by far the one that I would take away. I mean, yeah. I probably still would say Florence Foster Jenkins, but I only say that so easily because I, it, Into the Woods is the nomination that I always forget happened. Yeah, I kind like, of like her in Florence Foster Jenkins. Not enough to have nominated her if I had a vote, but like I kind of like I, I find her uh, entertaining in that film. What I will say is frustrating about those two nominations is that what happens immediately after those is her nomination for the post. And everybody chalks that up to just being like, oh, it's another default Meryl nomination. Typical like, Meryl no, excess. Yeah, Meryl's right. excellent. Yeah, she's Meryl's wonderful. She wonderful. Rules. She rules in that movie. She's so good. And, yes. and it's really frustrating because it, it, it has chalked that performance kind of up to this bin. And I think there was a little bit of how we talked about it that also led to that like there was obviously a lot of fixation on the captain as there should have been but like yeah <laughs> but i i do i do think people saw it just as another meryl drag performance and it's like no it's very not that it's it's right I, it's was, giving think, you it's giving you life on that level for sure it's giving yeah. you let's go let's do it let's 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 go let's let's <laughs> run it um but and also caftans but like it's it's also the real deal. I, I the way that people sort of knee jerk dismissed that movie for reasons that I felt were pretty shallow was very annoying to me. This was very disrespectful. Same. No, I I adore the post. I think it's extraordinarily well written. 
Um, I think Tom Hanks yeah. is. It's another of those. Great yeah, Hanks is great. It's it. I will rant for hours about how, for almost a decade, Tom Hanks turned out the best performances of his career yes. back to back to back. And the <laughs> yes. Oscars were yep. the Oscars were like, "Who is this man?" I, I, right. Uh, he, he'd be walking <laughs> down the street, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't know a thing. Sorry to this. Man. What the fuck? He's so good in all these movies. It's deranged. It's it is. It's genuinely deranged. Yeah. Ugh. And I mean, like, I don't necessarily begrudge the um Brad Pitt win, like I get it. Brad Pitt should have an acting Oscar. Yeah. And like that's not a bad performance to give it to him for, but like a beautiful day in the neighborhood is just like top tier Tom Hanks to me. Um and of course I love that movie. I love Mario Heller, blah 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 blah. I think the problem with Tom Hanks's uh chances to win for a beautiful day in the neighborhood brad pitt aside is you know you already always know when you're drawing dead when you when the first thing you say about a performance and why it's great is um you really have to think about what he's going for with this you know what i mean just like there's there's so much sort of just like like so much of why that performance is great is what Mariel Heller is giving you that is not expected in that role. And yeah, and it's wildly impressive, but you really have to like sit down and just be like, it's that annoying well, thing about a like his, a lot of his performances, the same thing about captain Phillips too. It's like, yeah. people are not prepared for the thinking man's Tom Hanks. Like they want, uh, cute and cuddly tom hanks or something it's a very annoying jazz player like you got to listen to the notes he's not playing but you really do have to listen to the notes he's not playing in that in that role i even feel that way about his saving mr banks performance which i think is wildly underrated i think he's really good in that throughout and again it's it's sort of like i think everybody thought tom hanks is walt disney it was going to be very showy very very you know uh big and it's it's not it's actually really good subtle work in this like movie that was a lot not not as good as he was but okay so so sort of to connect the dots here also we're talking about brad pitt uh beating out tom hanks obviously the other one of the other acting winners that year was laura dern who got her first nomination or no second nomination for wild yes yes and i think that that performance is actually kind of a thinker as well like and i am Mm -hmm. overall very impressed that it got nominated i hate that what it was at the expense of um, but I think that that performance also is very like subtle and interior and there's a yeah. lot going on there. Oh yeah. So. She makes the most out of very limited time. I mean, I think that nomination was the like first sign of the perfect storm that yes. we were going to have in the yes. next coming years of Laura Dern, because like part of the reason why that nomination happened, like that was a movie that wasn't getting as much love as it deserved. So it wasn't the movie. It's a, she has a very limited screen time, so it's like that's kind of against it. But like, partly why is like the industry absolutely adored her, yeah. and it's like the roles that were coming after that. It's like there would there would have been no stopping it, and it's like I think that nomination was a sign of that level of respect and adoration that she has within the industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was almost the Academy president and didn't Ugh. want it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But they were like, no, but you have to. I. But I think Wild was still, was at the sort of, that was at the moment where, you know who we don't talk about enough? Laura Dern had start, like, that was the yes. last of that. And before it would become like, you know who we always talk about is Laura Dern. And I think like with good reason. But 
Yeah, I think I think if you swap out Meryl for Chastain, that 2014 supporting actress category becomes like really, really great. Actually, because like even Keira Knightley is the best thing about the imitation. I think yeah. so too. I think she's great in that. I think Emma Stone is at worst very good in Birdman. I think Patricia Arquette, like, there's a reason why Patricia Arquette won that Oscar for Boyhood. She has some really, really fantastic moments in that movie. And, I mean, we just mentioned Laura Dern, and and you throw Chastain into that mix. Like, that's a really strong lineup. I do wonder if, had Chastain gotten nominated, it maybe doesn't get a little bit harder for Arquette to win. And I, she may have still. But I think the problem is, among those other four, right, Stone was not winning for that performance. That was not... Right where the stars were aligning that year. That was not where the I conversation mean, I think she was still second was. place. You think she was you think second? So? I think she was probably second place. That's fascinating. A, a very, very distant second place. I, I mean, it's like, tough for me to think of who actually would be second place though. I can't really come up with a better argument for anybody else. So, there, so that's kind of my, that's kind of my point though, is that of the other four nominees, nobody had a really good case to win. And I yeah. think Chastain would have had a good case to win. Cause it would have been, her third nomination. She could have been the second place if she was nominated. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's interesting. I think I think it's a more competitive race of Chastain. Sort of similar to Albert Brooks in this movie. Uh, sort of similar to Albert Brooks missing for Drive back yeah. in 2011. Yes. If he gets nominated, he's sense. second place in that category. You're totally right. Right, but as a result, it was just a plumber steamroll. And that, okay, and also, tying it all together, Laura Dern, not get, uh, Jennifer <laughs> Lopez not getting nominated, Turns yes. more Dern into a total steamroll that it wasn't going to. Wow, this all, it all connects. It's all, it's all <laughs> we're, 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 weaving, we're weaving a web here. <laughs> Je- Jennifer Lopez's fur coat is the Chekhov's gun of this podcast episode. <laughs> where we dropped it in early and uh, it all comes around. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I don't think I've been on the podcast since Jennifer Lopez did not get nominated for Hustlers, and I would be remiss oh. not to say justice for Jennifer Lopez and Hustlers while I had Wouldn't this podcast. Wouldn't that have been right before Hustlers? Or was that I, a year before? I, no, Hustlers? I think it was right. I, I think I saw the movie like two weeks later. Oh, wow. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So it was a different time. It was. Uh, it really, we, truly was. We didn't was know. We didn't know who we were then. We didn't know about the novel coronavirus that would be hitting our shoulders. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking too about talking about the Jessica Chastain uh, tweets about a sequel to a most violent year. I was just like, did that splinter off this universe into? <laughs> I was going to say. Became? Not Ooh. only Je- the Academy not nominating Jessica Chastain for a most violent year was very disrespectful <laughs> it also um was the very beginning butterfly effect yeah. of the coronavirus do we have any last thoughts about a most violent year before we move into the imdb game um justice for bradford young justice for Come bradford back young. yeah uh it's i we didn't really talk about box office this movie made two dollars um yes it really did it's, it's one of those i think if you have showtime it's free to stream or you can get a seven day free trial or whatever. I rented it because I decided I was going to give back, give back to artists. You know, I was going to throw some dollars in that tip jar. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it's, it's genuinely so great. And I think it's woefully underseen. Um, Even if it's, even if it's not, even if I don't feel the same love for it, it's just so well done. It's, it's beautiful to look at. I, I think it's absolutely worth the watch. The thing to talk about the box office, we didn't really mention this, is this is an A24 movie, and it's an early A24 movie. You could say that this is, like, their first awards campaign they did because James Franco for Spring Breakers does not count. They kind of did that as a joke. Um, (laughs) It's true. 
But like this movie made five million dollars, and at that time, that was good box office for, for them. them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They were they were just about to transition into being a, uh, a for real for real uh, award season presence. The progression for them every like in this like span of years is really interesting because they have this movie where they almost get a. Uh, nomination for Jessica Chastain. The next year, they get a Best Picture nomination and a Best Actress win. And then the next year, they win Best Picture. It's kind of like perfect in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Also, I just want to mention as I, uh, as I clean up my, uh, my notes here, uh, I did, and Chris knows this because I texted it to him. I fully out loud whistled at the scene where uh, Oscar Isaac is, uh, is in front of the bathroom mirror without a shirt on because, uh, that man is a good-looking man. He's a good-looking man. I mean, in the next year when we got Ex Machina, like that was that's like perfect Oscar Isaac tit. Just to like, <laughs> put it put it so gauchely. Oh, God. All right. Uh, why don't we do IMDb game? Let's do it. IMDb game, Joe. Why don't you explain to our lovely listeners what the IMDb game is? I sure will. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television work or voice-only performances or perhaps a non-acting credit, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles' release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes... A free-for-all of hints. Uh, I should specify that non-acting credit only counts uh, if they are not an uh, actor in that in that movie. So if it says producer for a movie that they're in, don't Like say Charlize it. Theron says producer for Tully. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's Hamdi began. All right. Uh, so, Kevin, you are our guest. You get to decide two things, whether you would like to give our guest first, but you also get to decide who is giving uh, to you and who you are giving to. Okay, Joe threatened me that he has a hard one before the off mic. So I am going to give first to Joe, and I will take from, from Chris. <laughs> okay. The fear, avoid- the fear. I'm avoiding a bomb. I'm avoiding a bomb. Um, Great. I am so excited to do another fucking swoozy curse. <laughs> um, so I will tell you that I literally had to ask uh, Chris and Joe for the list because I was not sure who had been done yet. And unfortunately, my iconic choice of Demi Moore because of Margin Call had been done. I also before. was going to do Demi Moore until yeah. I looked and yeah. saw we had already done her. <laughs> um, so I went in a different direction from Margin Call to somebody who... Uh, Joe, it's actually appropriate that I'm giving to you because we obviously... Uh, have a bond over the slap, um, and one of the stars of the slap was another star of Margin Call, Penn Badgley. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my, alright. You know what, bitch? Alright. You deserve this. I don't want to hear anything. Is there television? You, you deserve Is there, there television? Is, there is no television, which actually shocked mm. me. Alright. First of all, Double F words for you. Okay. Um, <laughs> Penn Badgley, just the movies, famous movie star, uh, celebrated a film presence. Penn Badgley. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, one of them is probably Easy A. That is correct. Actually, one of them is probably Margin Call, because you know what shows up for a lot of people is fucking Margin Call. That is that It's going to be another one of those IMDb game movies where if they're on the poster... Yeah, it's on their IMDb game. Uh, so yes, margin call is a yes. Those are yeses. Yes. All right, two for two. Okay. No television. 
Obviously, I would have guessed the slap first. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Penn Badgley. Like, there's no way, like, the movie where he plays, like, Jeff Buckley is going to show up. Because, like, literally, I saw that at the Tribeca Film Festival and nobody else in the world saw that. Um, Fuck, what else is he? The audacity of making a bad Jeff Buckley movie. Oh, all right. Speaking of the Susie Kurtz incident, uh, when we also did the Seal Awards, one of the movies that came up was The Stepfather. The Stepfather and is indeed on I rem- there. Is it? Fuck yes. Yeah. All right. IMDb game power player, The Stepfather. <laughs> oh my god. So you have one left and no wrong guesses so far. That's fucked up. The problem is I'm I've not. run out of movies that I remember Penn Badgley being in. Is The Thing. I feel okay, like I just pulled it up and this is hilarious. I feel yeah, like no, he's in a movie funny. with Alexis Bledel at some point. But like Alright, I'm just gonna guess. Is maybe he's not even the guy in this. Is it post grad? No. Okay. Wrong one wrong guess. One wrong guess. Who is in that movie though? Yeah, it's some there's like a there's a definitely a cute boy in that. I'll look it up once I'm done with this. Um it's, Michael Keaton is the second credited. That is definitely not it. Um, <laughs> oh, it's uh, Zach, it's, it's Zach Guilford from uh, Friday Night Lights. Oh, sure. yes. You're absolutely right. Darling boy. Is he still married to Keely Sanchez? I hope so. I wish them nothing but happiness. I have to assume. Um, I don't know. You put the fear of God in me with Aaron Taylor Johnson. And I was wrong. Johnson. And I was wrong. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Another Penn Badgley movie. Um, what the fuck is he even in? Is he in, like, I feel like he had his own, like, Disturbia at some point, right? Where, like, some, like, little quasi-thriller kind of thing that they're just like, hey, you know this guy from Gossip Girl. Um, oh, is he in, um, that movie Love the Coopers? I'm going to guess Love the Coopers. He might not even be in that. He may be in it, but it is not in his known four. Um, so you have year now. It's 2006. Oh. So if that doesn't help you, Joe, I feel like this would be a great movie for your festival of movies that exist only as titles. <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. So 2006 is just before Gossip Girl for him. Then. Correct. Yes. Who... But not, like, long enough where he's, like, a kid. He would be, like, like junior high at oldest. Like, a tween at oldest. I thought you were about to say er, a, twink, at- a twink, and I was like, oh, man, no. <laughs> no. Um, fuck. Is he the lead in this? No. I will say the lead is a titular character. And can I just say who the second bill person in this movie is? Sure. Yes. It's Ashanti. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, you've really narrowed it down. It's it's John Tucker Must Die. It is indeed Fuck, John Tucker Must I Die. I thought she was in there. <laughs> yeah. John Tucker Must Die. Sorry, I just... No, oh. thank God, because I would have been here all fucking day. I did not know he was in that movie. Uh, nor did I. I was pretty... How did you know Ashanti was in that movie? Because it's Ashanti. Like, that's like... She's in, like, she's two movies. Girls. And that's one of them. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I thought she was in more movies. I don't yeah. think so. Unless I'm unless I'm really uh, shortchanging her. 
That's a that's an unhinged one, Kevin. Anyway, well Thank done. You. That was that was impressive. Good job, Thank dear. You. All right. Um. So now Who I. Who do you have for me? All right. So, what are you subjecting me to? Uh, I went the road of um, triple frontier actually. Uh, for you. So unfortunately, it's not an actress. That's how you can tell. Is it Charlie Hunnam? Uh, it is not, but it, you're in the right ballpark because we once famously did the great, uh, with uh, our guest Katie Rich, the great Charlie Hunnam or Garrett Headland quiz. And I'm giving you the other one. I am giving you Garrett Headland. Okay, see, Garrett Headland, I think, is going to be easier. Probably. Than the Charlie Hunnam. Um, probably. Than Charlie Hunnam. Uh, is Tron Legacy in there? Yes, it is. Okay. Which movie that he is someone sweaty and dirty <laughs> is going to show up there? Um, tempted to say Unbroken because we were just talking about it or we just mentioned it, but I there's so many twinks in that movie that I don't think... Oh, no, 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 no. This... I remember he is in this. I can't not say it because it has tripped me up on like two other people before. He is in Four Brothers. If Four Brothers isn't in there, I'm going to be mad. He is the fourth of Four Brothers, and that is and that is uh, absolutely correct. Yes, you tried to pull one on me with Fanula Flanagan. I won't. Forget. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, you have Tron Legacy. You have Four Brothers. I'm just going to say Unbroken. No, strike one. Unbroken is not Okay. He's one of a million people in Lewin Davis. Which I don't even think Inside Lewin Davis shows up for Oscar Isaac, so I'm not going to guess that. Mm. There's no way that Pan is on there from our episode on the movie Pan. There's no way Triple Frontier is on there because no one saw it. What else should I guess? He's one of another million twinks in Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. I'm going to guess Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. It's not a bad guess, but it is incorrect. All right, so that's two strikes. You're going to get years. Your years are 2012 and 2017. 2012 and 2017. Is this our first Netflix movie to show up? Is 2017 Mudbound? I don't know if it's our first Netflix movie, but it's our rare Netflix movie to show up. It is Mudbound. That's why I didn't guess Mudbound. Yes, Mudbound is one of his four. I mean, Mudbound deserves to be there. Mudbound's great. He's very good in that movie. So 2012, shortly after Tron failed to make him a movie star, um, but before Lewin Davis. Mm -hmm. This actually was going to be my first guess if I had gotten this. Oh, so it's something like big that I'm forgetting. Is it another blockbuster? I no. I don't don't read too much into that. It's just this was what. Okay. Yeah. You just remember this, and I'm blanking. Yeah. yeah. Um. It's not a blockbuster, but he is a lead. Okay. I mean, I feel like he's usually a lead. He's usually, like, second or third building. Well, but not in something like Inside Lewin Davis or... Sure. Georgia Rule. Or Mudbound. Oh, I should have guessed Georgia... Well, I shouldn't have guessed Georgia Rule. Well, not Rule, now. That's not a 2012 movie. Rule. Um, okay. What movies are 2012? 
Is it? Mm, I'm struggling. He co-stars along with somebody who, well, one of his co-stars is somebody who we had a very uh, intense conversation about in this very uh, podcast discussion. Somewhat contentious. Somewhat contentious? Michelle Williams? No. Amy Adams? Yes. Amy Adams? What was Amy Adams? What was she in 2012? It's before the master. No, it's not. It's not the master. It's not. The I've master. forgotten um, some of these people are in this movie. Wow. This is a very, very well. Oh, cast is this movie. a big ensemble? Yes. It's a movie where like very like famous and recognizable faces will show up for like a scene or two. Okay. But the the main female actress in this was somebody who had like just recently put a kind of big franchise behind her. They actually she might not have actually been done with this franchise officially, but. Uh... I know what this is. This is on the road. Correct. This is on the road, right? Kristen Stewart I is what I was describing. This. It's actually pretty good, and he—is it Steve Buscemi? He fucks in this movie, Kevin. Uh, right. I've never, I've never seen it, but now I want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, what? like a giant, a giant, like. I believe one of the like great the big like emotional through lines of this movie is how much Tom Sturridge wants to have sex with Garrett Hedlund, which like I get it, I get it. Sure, I unless I'm misremembering, but still, no. But I always yeah. think about the I always think about this movie with Garrett Hedlund for some reason. I it it, it I remember he's like the one seeing... I think of. Him and Kristen Stewart are the two are the ones yeah. that I really think of in this movie. Um, but like Kristen like, Dunst is in this, yeah. Elizabeth Moss. Like it's it's really well cast. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Good job. Right, Good job, Garrett Hedlund. All right. For you, Kevin, I have someone who I don't think is quite as difficult. But uh, one of the notes that we didn't talk about this movie is that uh, Oscar Isaac's role was originally supposed to be played by Javier Bardem. He backed out semi at the last minute and Oscar Isaac came in at Jessica Chastain's uh, recommendation. Regardless, uh, since uh, we've been spending the time talking about Oscar Isaac's character wife... I figured I would give you Javier Bardem's oh, real wife. You give me Penelope Cruz? Yes. I'm so excited. You know I love Penelope. Oh wow. Okay. All right. All right. Um, uh, uh, Oscar wins. So Vicky Cristina is obviously there. Correct. I'm gonna guess Volver is also there because she was nominated for it. Thank Christ, Volver is also correct. That, okay. Good. All right. Okay. Um, hmm, all right. The the. Disturbed part of me wants to say nine, but I'm going to resist. Um, although, does nine show up for people? Is that... Are you trying to say you don't want to lie for Italia? <laughs> does nine show up for Fergie? That's the question I have. Um... <laughs> fucking better is all I'm going to say. It's fucking better. Joe, will you please uh, look up to see if nine shows up for Fergie? I need it too. Um, what if it? What if her known for is like Glenn Close, and that there's only one role, except her one role is in Poseidon. Oh my god! Well, now once we're done making Kevin guess this, I'm making the both of you guess Fergie's known for. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay, we, we've okay, officially okay, moved. Okay, okay. Like it is now more of a. It's 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 too big not to address. Is what I'm going to say. Um, All right. Well, uh, okay, so. 
Kevin, you have two correct guesses. You're waiting on two more. You have no wrong guesses. Yeah, and I'm stuck on – oh, she was in a Pirates, wasn't she? She was in, like, the fourth Pirates movie. Um, I'm going to guess that. I don't remember the name, though. No. Do you have a subtitle for me? I know it's the fourth. It's like, oh, God. Nope. It is correct, but uh, the title is On Stranger Times. I would have never gotten that. I thought it was No Man's Land or something like that. Um, okay. It's the Rob Marshall Pirates, though. Well, okay, so that makes... I'm just going to say nine just to get it out of my system. Nine is incorrect. Okay. It's wild that one of her way. Rob Marshall movies is on there, and it's it's not nine. <laughs> it's not one she was nominated yeah. for an Oscar for. Yeah. Oh, I forgot she was. I forgot she was Oscar. That was a Coattails nomination, right? Because that was the it year sure after. Was. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I'll be waiting for you with my legs wide open. Um. I wonder if there's going to be another Almodovar on there. I don't think it's going to be like Broken Embraces. It could be Pain and Glory. That's so new though. And she's like, but she's very prominently, I was going to say she's not in it much, but even the credits are like very spotlighty of her. I love Pain and Glory, by the way. Great movie. Um... She's wonderful in it, too. She's wonderful. Uh, hmm. I'll, I'll go ahead. Pain and Glory. Incorrect. Shit. Your year is 2001. Oh, shit. So this is, like, very different. Oh, 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 oh. This is Cruise and Cruise. This is Vanilla Sky. It is Vanilla yeah, Sky. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very right. good. Yeah. I wouldn't even... Well, honestly, Penelope Cruise, for me, kind of, like, once Volver happens, it sort of separates into two separate eras for me it's like there's the tom cruise era before and then there's the javier bardem era after they feel very disparate but um cool that was that was fun i enjoyed that i was all right also we're we're running long and i just realized it will not be fun to try and guess for he's i will say nine is one of them poseidon is in fact one of them so you guys guessed the two fun ones the other two are it's a weird where Grindhouse is one of them, and also Planet Terror being one of the Grindhouse movies is one of them. So it's oh, a weird right, double dip. Because isn't she murdered in Planet Terror? I think a lot of people are, and I would I would believe that yes. So that's kind of a that's kind of a two for one kind of thing, which makes me feel bad that she doesn't have four distinct movies that she's on the on IMDb for, which Honestly, does make her kind her... of Glenn Close. Throw her NBA Finals uh, national anthem. Yeah, who wants to play some basketball? (laughs) Honestly, cast Fergie and things. Hollywood, just give it to me. She's so good in nine. She's genuinely so good in nine. Like, there's gotta be stupid. She wasn't in Cats. It's real stupid. She wasn't in Cats. Let's say that she could have. She could have done as much as I love the icon who plays the bitchy cat. Because um, she was also in Hustlers in the same year, and she's amazing. Um, Fergie could have done that role. Fergie could have done, done a lot of those roles. Like, genuinely could have done a lot of those roles. God bless Taylor Swift, but, like, Fergie could have done that cat, too. Um, oh. Fergie, Fergie for Old Deuteronomy. Just make it happen. <laughs> a cat is not a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for my Ginger Minj-esque Fergie impersonation. <laughs> Who's ready for the Jellicle Ball? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh god all right this is all right blast, thank you, you for being here kevin this yeah. was so super fun yeah I've this is a great that talk. is our episode if you want more this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscar buzz.tumblr.com you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz kevin please uh first of all thank you for coming back we love having thank you for having me Thank you. We'll have you back in the future as well, but uh, tell our listeners where they can find more of you. Uh, well, before I come back for what will inevitably be another Jessica Chastain movie, uh, you can yeah. find me on Letterboxd at Kevin P. O'Keefe. You can also find me recently reemerged on Instagram at Kevin P. O'Keefe. That is o- uh, Kevin P. O-K-E-E-F-F-E. I have two E's, two F's. Um, I, have, I have long since abandoned the scourge of Twitter, but um, I did... I did decide to make my make my reemergence on Instagram so I could actually be social again. So you can find me at other those places. You can also find my writing about RuPaul's Drag Race every Thursday evening and Friday morning at Extra, uh, X-T-R-A. It's a wonderful queer Canadian publication, extramagazine.com, X-T-R-A-magazine.com. Um, we publish recaps every Thursday night and uh, power rankings every Friday morning for the rest of All-Star 6. We're having a wonderful time covering the season. I'm sure I'll be covering whatever season starts immediately after All-Star 6. <laughs> probably UK3 We look forward point. to your coverage of RuPaul's Drag Race Antarctica. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. absolutely. But only if, only if RuPaul hosts. That's the that's the rule. Unless it's Canada's Drag Race, RuPaul has to host it for me to write about it, uh, which resulted in me having to cover all eight episodes of the absolute disaster of RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under. Ooh. <laughs> but yeah, that's all me. And Joe, tell our listeners where they can find uh, more of you. Sure. I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am at Letterboxd. Uh, Joe Reed spelled the exact same way. And I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Crispy File. That is F-E-I-L. Uh, we would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even though they are dog shit, uh, <laughs> Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. <laughs> A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts' visibility. So uh, slam that fifth star otherwise. You are very disrespectful. This was very disrespectful. Uh, that's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye. Bye. Bye.